Hello and welcome to episode 195 of the Random Town Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And this episode is, it's very much like the, the yin to last episode yang, if you will. Like, last episode was all about how there wasn't a Nintendo Direct in January, which we, you know, thought there might be. and that I never this, thought there would be. Well, I did. I, the royal we of Nintendo fandom thought there might be. Yeah. But more to the point, we had this whole episode where it's just like this scattershot of news. Someone says they didn't mind all this info, or I don't know what, and like, oh, there's enough stuff here for Nintendo Direct. That's not quite how it went down, but sure. <laughs> but no, uh, basically there's this idea that, like, Nintendo's not telling us things. And then this episode, well, now Nintendo's telling, like, they're, like, oversharing by comparison. They laid out all the cards. I mean, they put out their quarterly financials. It gives us a peek into how they did over the holidays. They uh, gave us this really uncharacteristically blunt and honest video about Metroid Prime 4's delay. They went surprisingly in-depth about their strategies as a company. They shadow-dropped Piranha Plant early and made unexpected mobile game announcements and announced the tournament for Smash and Splatoon. Like, the list just goes on and on. So, if last episode was Nintendo Indirect, then this is kind of the polar opposite, and we're calling it Nintendo Very Direct as a result. And um, I think it's actually the first time we've done, like, a connected theme between two episodes. So, for those keeping score at home about Ram Nintendo's episode titles, check that box. But uh, anyway, it's a lot of stuff. Um, there's timestamps on episodes blog post roundtown.com. There's timestamps in the video below. If you're watching on YouTube, I said below weird. And yeah, I, I, I guess we just jump right in. Apparently, I mean, apparently you totally saw this all coming in terms of how much news there wouldn't be and how much news there would be. But I didn't see it coming. I just didn't think there would be. In you, did, <laughs> you did the opposite of seeing it. Because as, as we've established last episode, I'm not really in the... Video game news cycle anymore as much as you were, yeah. And even then, like, you know, there's always, I mean, there's the Jasons and you know the other people that like, are right on the pulse of Nintendo that are pretty usually pretty good at predicting when directs come out because they're kind of cyclical. I mean, yeah. Jason had told me a while ago, like, oh, if there were to have one, it would be this week or next week. And then boom, and bam, and then there usually and was then they, one. They did all they did all weird this January. Like we're officially out of January now, and there was no January direct strange but yeah. there is so much other stuff so to start us off that would be kind of a good idea to like zoom all the way out and look at where nintendo's at as a whole and i don't just mean like performance wise because we have their sales numbers we'll get to that but but if you must know don't make us wait too long if though. you mu- okay fine if you must know holiday quarter so october 1st to january 31st nintendo made 104 billion yen in net profit that is 958 million dollars revenue 26 percent higher than a year ago to 608 billion yen that translates to 5.59 billion dollars and that's impressive when you consider that it's 26 percent higher than a year ago like i just said which means a year ago which was the highest holiday quarter they had in eight years has now been eclipsed by this one that's even bigger so they're doing quite well on like the macro level if you will and that's great and all but what stuck out to me the most and it's really kind of the most interesting thing um, on this like higher level is that Nintendo's new president, Sentaru Furukawa, spent a good portion of the briefing that goes along with these financials discussing the company's mission statement. Like what is Nintendo's goal? What do they do? And you know, again we're talking real big picture here. Yeah, we'll, what do they really do? But right? It's a good question. Um and it turns out What's their end game? They're done with the Blue Ocean strategy. That is their end game. They no longer are trying to expand the gaming population. Like, for as long as we've been podcasting, which is seven going on eight years now, right? And really well beyond that, Nintendo's mission statement has always been this idea of expanding the game population. They want to bring in new players using innovations to show them that, you know, hey, video games aren't so bad. Like, yeah, this you can like video games because we made it waggly or touchy or whatever. 
and you know it's most it's the most familiar thing we've seen um of this Turiwata era of Nintendo where Wii and DS they kind of rose up with this whole blue ocean in mind but even if you look like further back there are traces of this mentality of like appealing to new people that aren't gamers you know and things like the GameCube or the N64 I mean the GameCube had that big green A button that was specifically designed to be hey non-gamer this is your main button you will use look how big and green it is see that little red one that's the one that means back away or cancel or do the opposite so like they were always kind of thinking about this like the N64 even they had the three prongs because they wanted to give players and developers the ability to not conform to any one specific playstyle. It's like, oh, well, for this game, you can do it like this. For this game, you can do it like that. Like, whatever you're comfortable with, hey, as long as you're playing our games, that's cool. See, non-gamers, we adapt to you. Like, it's always kind of been this through line. And now... And yet, Nintendo doesn't adapt to everybody, like Microsoft and their amazing... To be honest, that controller. Xbox controller is actually super cool. No, it is. It like, really I'm, is. I'm being, like, very I, sincere. There's a Super Bowl ad they've, put, they've done... That shows all these kids playing, and it's 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 very nice. It's it's yeah, good it's like as mo- a whole. Like, yeah, waggle can't solve everything, Sometimes especially if you can't waggle for exactly, various yeah. so limitations it, you may have. It's great that Microsoft like took that a step further and, and you know made very user friendly buttons. You know what's cool about that controller, the adaptive controller, is they actually have put up the blueprints online or something like that. Basically, anyone can make it work with anything. Damn. So if Nintendo wants to, they can make it play nice with Switch, and Microsoft wouldn't care, or Sony could, or whatever. But it's cool, yeah. It, it's kind of, it's, it's funny because like in that video all the kids are like I never really considered that like there's another way I'm just like oh this is just how I play video games this is why I'm, you know it's fine this is what I do and then there was another way and they were all like so excited it was really cool anyway um, yeah so Nintendo hasn't quite done that but they did all sorts of little things to get people that don't care about video games to maybe care about video games and now Nintendo's saying that that market has dried up for a car described it um, in the briefing is like kind of a situation where basically I guess I guess he's basically saying smartphones picked up the blue ocean slack and sort of made everyone into a gamer. So you don't necessarily need to attract people to the idea of gaming because they all already do it in some capacity. And that means that Nintendo is officially retiring the concept of expanding the game population. What? Yeah, so in Furukawa's own words, I'm actually just going to read the whole quote here. We might can, as well. I might as well. Thank you. Thank you for the freedom. <laughs> um, but he said, uh, We will continue to propose products that are not limited by a definition of game and that bring entertainment to various customers regardless of religion, gender, or age. However, the term of gaming population expansion itself does not fit in the current situation. And like, I don't know. I feel like this like this came out and was in the press materials and everything from the presentation. And people were kind of just like, okay, but it kind of, I don't know, to me it feels like a bit more of a watershed moment. Like, I tweeted something to this effect the other night, but basically what's happening is that Nintendo, the purveyors of we need to attract people into gaming, now feels that video games have finally reached a critical mass that they've been striving for them to achieve for so long. They're wholly accepted. They're being played by anyone. It's, like, it, it's almost like movies. It's like uh, you never hear a movie studio discuss how they want movie X or Y to like expand the movie viewer audience because, yeah, everyone watches movies. So it's instead about appealing to different audiences or different subsects of those watchers. You know, do you do you want to go wide as possible or do you want to cater to a specific niche? So do you want to do a multi-movie expanded universe? So it's Bandersnatch, Netflix way of getting gamers into Netflix? Or is it there? Yeah, essentially. Or the flip side is an entry point for people that like that sort of surface level game to maybe try something like the Walking Dead series or the Batman series or any of the Telltale games. Like, it kind of works both ways. Like, everyone's playing games in sub-capacity, so it's really just about, like, how do you attract gaming other ways. That's why, though, to your Netflix point, Netflix said in their financials the other week, their biggest competitor is not other streaming services. 
It's Fortnite. So they need to get Fortnite on Netflix. No, but the idea that <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, and you play. Just get a Fortnite. You play TV by just going. scrubbing left and right on the on the progress bar. No, but it's um. They're saying their biggest competitor is gaming because like people are putting time to that, and that's why you see stuff like Bandersnatch is to appeal to this much bigger audience of gamers who put way more time and energy into how much they play. So they're just mirroring what Nintendo said a while ago, where it's like, oh, our biggest enemy is. Well, Nintendo oh. still says it. They're fighting for time. Mm-hmm. This is Reggie's favorite thing. He says it more than Furukawa or, or any of the other presidents did. But their biggest enemy is time. They're competing for your entertainment uh-huh. time. Kids are getting older. They're being kids left and left. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, it's like, it's true. Like, you, I, they... The hands of death are even approaching. Like, wow, this got dark. But no, even think, think about like, uh, I don't know, like when I go home, as you know, I don't play games nearly enough because I immediately go straight to Twitter home, and catch though. up with Twitter. I do go home. I do have a home that I live in. Um, but I go through Twitter. In a way, Twitter, Nintendo's competing with Twitter for my time. Like, everything you do that's for fun or for entertainment or for not work, Nintendo wants a, a, pie, a piece of that pie, as does everyone else. So that's why it's interesting that they're giving up on the gaming population thing. Well, not giving up, but they've achieved the goal of the gaming population thing because they're basically saying, yeah, it's no longer about, like, can we convince people their time's more valuable if they try this other medium? It's like, well, how do we convince people that already like this medium to come to our part of the medium and join us? It's kind of like, you know, they could still do crazy innovative things. Like, to go back to the movie example, 3D was a thing for a couple of years. IMAX is a thing now. All those, like, innovations within movies that change well, how you watch movies. It's cyclical because it was a thing oh, yeah. for a while. Yeah. Then it stopped being a thing for, like, almost a decade. Then it became a thing really hard. And then right now it's, like, taking a break again. Taking out of context, that's a really interesting sentence. <laughs> but, um, no, but but yeah, that's true. And it, it's true with Nintendo in 3D as well, if you think about the gaming side. Virtual Boy to 3DS to nothing um, with big gaps in between. Yeah, but VR is the next step, I guess. Yeah, Nintendo. basically. But like, kind of this idea of like, it's not so much. like All these things are all how do you get people that play games to play them differently or come to your side of gaming versus how do you get people to care about gaming. Which, uh, like, just go keep going on my soapbox here for a second if, if you don't mind. Uh, oh, please do. Thank you. Thank you. Like, I don't think this is going to actually drastically change Nintendo's output in any meaningful way. Like, arguably, they've been moving in this direction for a while, right? Like, look at look at how the Wii U and 3DS were more complex compared to the Wii and DS. Or how, like, you know, those were designed more for core gamers. Even, like, the Switch. Really, the entirety of the early Switch days and its core appeal is all about, like, the gamers machine look at this cool way that gamers can experience games differently like literally switch is the embodiment of what happens when you reach the point where differentiating in a market makes more sense than just trying to find more people to bring into the market and to kind of back that uh our our buddy at mpd that you once tweeted and he once tweeted you back uh matt piscatella he tweeted the other day that half of all u.s switch owners also have a ps4 you are one of them i believe because you have Actually, you have like three PS4s. I don't know how that works in their stats. Does that mean you have? Does that mean you get to be like? Are you three separate Switch owners? Are you one PS? No, I'm just one Switch owner with one PS4. Elvis is the one that has two PS4s and doesn't own a Switch, yeah. but it does use yours. Interesting. There you go. So they're literally losing. They're losing yeah. customers. But no, um, Piscatel was saying that you know half of all US Switch owners own PS4s. Forty percent of all Switch owners also have an Xbox One. Like, it's a gaming device through and through. It has tra- the Switch. It has traditional inputs. It has all that. But not Resident Evil 2, though. That's true. But that's that's exactly my point. It's now differentiating against other systems versus... Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's the machine. whole reason why I got a PS4, because yeah. I needed to get some of those experiences that I couldn't find on the Switch. You know, yeah. And greatness what, awaits. 
Is Sony a sponsor? Are we getting money? When did when did you sign a sponsorship deal? And why am I not getting a cut? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's 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 yeah, just the check's already cashed, so uh, too bad. But I'll just like steal something on my way out today. But no, it, it's interesting because like Switch is a gamer's machine through and through, right? But it's outpacing the Wii right now because everyone who games, which for practical purposes is now everybody, the idea of a two-in-one gaming device is just that appealing. Like Wii, there are a bunch of gamers that are like, no, this is too dumb. But like everyone gets the Switch idea, and we'll, and everyone has some game that they're like, oh, I'd love to play that on the go or what have you. But basically, what I'm saying is this: Nintendo's pivoted towards this. It's not about attracting folks to gaming; they're already there. It's about attracting folks to Nintendo. And an interesting stat that came out of these financials is that 85% of all Nintendo software revenue is from first-party games specifically, which is different than every other system. Usually third parties dominate. And it's because of whatever this Nintendo magic is, whatever the secret sauce is that they've come up with. For Carla, he described it uh, in the briefing as being like a mix of Nintendo developing hardware and software together as integrated products, very much an Apple sort of tagline and the ability for Nintendo to make age-spanning games. But whether or not you necessarily agree with that's what makes Nintendo special, that's what they're going to focus on now. Is Whatever that Nintendo magic is, it's not about trying to spill that magic onto a, a, a scale or spill that magic into like math with brain age. It's about like just doubling down on that and convincing people that that is what they want. So, I mean, you're a core fan. I'm a core fan. What do you think? Is this kind of what you want on Nintendo? So to just sort of really stop doing like stepping stones of different things into gaming just being like here's a game that we make as a nintendo game yeah i just uh, i mean i don't know they've made great games in every single period of their little mm-hmm. weird thing they've made great games when they were pursuing the core then the blue ocean actually i feel like we got a lot of interesting a lot more interesting games when they were in the blue ocean in the blue ocean just because they were you know a lot easier but also really hard by designing some other specific ways that they don't affect the blue ocean i mean kind of like kirby's epic yarn like where those kind of yeah. their mario or super mario galaxy where it was an overall easier mario game but if you want to get some really hard levels out of it they're still there they're just a lot more hidden well i, I find that actually kind of interesting because what i noticed during the the blue ocean days is they were almost like it's almost like you were like leveling up further into gaming to use a gaming analogy like you know you you came in as a non-gamer and they'd be like there's some games that are first i should say there's some games that obviously everyone could play Mario Kart, Mario Party, those were kind of across the board. You could even argue Smash Bros, since you could really play it however you want, can be appealing to anyone, But especially with the different settings and whatnot. But um, what I noticed with the Blue Ocean days, kind of to your point, is you sort of like leveled up into it, as I was starting to say. So like the first wave was like, oh, non-gamers would like uh, math, here's Brain Age, or exercise, here's Wii Fit. Or they, they like dogs, right? What if there's just a virtual one, and you interact with it, and that's how you learn how to control a game. Here's Nintendogs. And sure, they appealed to us too, but they were very much for them. Then Nintendo's like, great, these guys now play the base level of what games are. What if we take them a further step into gaming? Like, here's Wii Sports Resort. It has achievements and missions and, like, a structure to it. It's not just a menu with four different options. Or here's New Super Mario Bros. Wii, which is kind of, like, the simplest form of video game you can have. But also, we'll throw in some stuff, like you were saying, with Galaxy that's there for more advanced players and then meanwhile the core fans like us were given like metroid prime 3 or zelda twilight princess which yeah had a motion control but the motion control wasn't really motion control it was just you know instead of a button so they were kind of like like there was overlap but there was also like you sort of earned your keep at playing like quote-unquote real games but then stuff like what you're describing with kirby kirby's epic yarn started happening or yoshi Woi world i think is the one you mentioned last episode having the same thing where it's like 
they're almost like blending together the different tiers that I feel like they had and it's kind of like every game's approachable by every type of gamer now as a result so if you want to find everything in Kirby or you want to find everything in Yoshi or you want to find those hard levels in, in a galaxy like you were saying you can or you cannot and that's literally the the mindset of like every single major first party game now Mario Odyssey with all the moons which I feel like was one of your complaints is like it was too easy the boss was whatever because they're making it more appealing to this broader net of people or like Breath of the Wild if you think about it, the fact that you can do anything any which way you want you can go straight you can go a long way around you can just run around like that's kind of like approachable to any type of gamer however they want like it seems like they 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 don't feel the need to like train people on what games are or how you're supposed to interact with them they're now just making it so there's flexibility within the game for whatever type of gamer you are almost exactly and it's it's interesting because like they they i don't think this means they're gonna stop presenting new ways to play games like i think something like splatoon's a good example of how basically they gave it motion control to provide a way for people not familiar with first person shooters to have fun with a first person shooter but then they simultaneously also kept the depth of a real shooter so it's kind of finding that balance is what is what i think like this new nintendo is probably gonna keep doing more and more and more which is you know something we've seen over the years so it's really not shocking but it's just kind of like here we are getting it in official capacity as this is nintendo's new mo this is their new mission statement like if if you don't like a game having something that's easier like odyssey you're kind of out of luck because it sounds like you're just gonna keep going down this road but it's not like they're completely abandoning you and only doing like we fit plus or something so like we or we plus. play or whatever yeah no they're cool but they're just oh, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. i mean like for gamers they they were always a point of contention so um the, the other advantage is it means that nintendo gets to spend more money on marketing things us gamers actually care about that's something i'm kind of excited for like back in the wii days i remember they did a massive morning yoga routine for wii fit in wow. central park and that's fine like more power to them but that money was going to that meaning it wasn't going to something that might be more relevant to our direct interests now however we're getting stuff like the north american open for smash and splatoon and there's also a separate one in europe for those listening in europe um it's actually, you know, it's about time they realize that North America and Europe are separate places. I feel like every tournament they've done up to this point was, like, the world championships, but only applied to North America. So props to Nintendo for realizing there's a bigger world. Yeah, but, nice of them. But, yeah, for those who don't know, um, so they're doing this tournament, North America Open. It's continent-wide. It's primarily an online set of tournaments that end with a final at PAX East in Boston at the end of March. Um, I think there's, what, three rounds of qualifiers for Smash? Uh, the first of which actually is happening this weekend, and right now, yeah, right now. And then there's a single ink pool qualifier for Splatoon two. You sign up through all these through Battlefly, which I've used for Splatoon in the past. And then I think how it works, Smash they're gonna it's divided into regions, right? And then the top qualifier, I guess, of each region goes on to the that yes. qualifier's final, and then yeah. the winners of that get to go to packs, pretty much. And then Splatoon, I think they just do one step less because it's just the best. The teams from today or from the ink uh, pool, whenever that is, and then the teams that win the second round, then they're off. I guess it's the same then. Never mind. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's kind of it's kind of a cool way to keep um, the online community engaged. And like they're putting a decent amount of money behind this. I mean, it's going to be in the PAX Arena during the Saturday of the convention. That's not that's where they do like all the big events at the convention. So it's you know they're renting out arena. It's not bad, but. Uh, yeah, it's this type of thing that I feel like if Nintendo was still blue oceaning, they maybe wouldn't do. Like they once did do a tournament, the Wii Summer Games, in I think twenty ten maybe, 
and didn't you go to that? I did. It was in Redondo Beach, which is like it was literally like ten minutes from my house. Last you went, I didn't participate. I just went because I didn't know it was gonna be there until I happened to like see a thing for it like the week before. Oh. But that was cool because it was very much like Mario Kart and speed runs in Donkey Kong, but it was also like stuff in the casual games. And I feel like that sort of carves out a subsect of audience that just won't do it, but now maybe will for something like the Open. I mean, are you? I, you're obviously not playing right now because you're sitting here talking to me. But are you? Are you gonna enter the Smash one? I don't think I can because I'm doing this. But no, there you can do multiple qualifiers. I mean, they had apparently twelve thousand registrations in the first forty-eight hours. Oh, and they were still saying there's ways to sign up if you want. Like, there's different regionals oh, you no, can do. Either way, I'm not. not gonna How come? Bother. Um, just don't have the time. That makes sense. Yeah, just don't have the time. And it's also, I mean, I get why the rules are the way they are. I mean, they have to make it interesting for a general audience. But this definitely feels like a let's get non-competitive people into competitive Smash Brothers, but let's ease them in with Smash Balls. I mean... Okay, so what are the actual rules? Because I didn't... Maybe this is less of a... Uh, maybe this is more of the accessibility Nintendo than I expected it was when I first was reading about it. What yeah, are the actual it's, rules? It's all over the place. I mean, you have some 1v1s. They all have Smash Balls on, every single one. Then, at some point, like you split off into teams of 3 versus 3 for some reason, because... Because why, why not? Because sportsmanship is yeah. great. It's like, because that, <laughs> that's what you want in a tournament, right? Like, it... I mean, I, I guess... We have to not see this tournament like a competitive Smash Bros. 1v1 tournament, but I guess as a... I don't even know what to call so it. Th- like, like, the... like a general Smash Brothers tournament? So so this is actually without me even... <laughs> without me even doing this on purpose. So this is actually the prime example of, of new accessible Nintendo. This is the new Nintendo MO. Yeah, because like, there was... Cause I didn't even, realize even it was on the Even on the tournament thing, it says like, oh, this tournament is all about skill. Then get rid of the Smash Ball, like, because <laughs> I mean that that, that already yeah. like makes it unbalanced, and the game is apparently already like pretty balanced, like according to all the little like Sakurai numbers that he got from our play data. Right. But yeah, it's just kind of annoying that well, besides having the Smash Ball on that, you eventually have to split into teams of three versus three. And while I love the the squad strike mode, they're also making you do that. So if for whatever reason you were like, oh cool, like I'm gonna I just want to use Diddy Kong because me and Diddy are best friends or whatever, and no one else. Learn like, a lot about you right now. Well, not, not a lot. Of <laughs> I know, I know. It'd be me and Bowser, but but now you're screwed because now you have to pick two other characters that you've never played as to also balance out your Diddy, and you're right. taking someone else to have to pick three characters. Well, technically, they announced it with enough, enough time that you could have trained up with two others. Mm, I mean, if you want to win, I don't think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, huh. So I guess this is less of an example. Yeah. I guess this is less of an example any, of, any of how core fans will benefit, and more example of how accessible Nintendo. I mean, any tournament officially held by Nintendo, as far as memory serves, has never been "quote unquote" competitive. Yeah, like they've always just been very like entry level. I mean, like just look at the the tournament I did for Nintendo, even as recently as E3 of last year. I had to go through three rounds of four versus four, like. To get to a one versus one. Well, well, do keep in mind that one's a little different because it was an unreleased game that they just debuted the day before. Still, though, I mean, they could have done it any other way, and they know what people want to do. They know people just yeah. want to do one versus one, but they have to shove in their free for alls in there. Yeah. Same thing with the other tournament they had at Comic Con. At Comic Con, 
like they also do like a couple rounds of four versus fours then some teams and then like some one versus ones it's always like let's try to make them play every single game mode we have available because we're just a giant commercial and then <laughs> so yeah i mean they're just advertising their game well well fine. let's so let's so with this one because you have to own it to participate well, yeah. Not even well, streaming well, well, the, the first rounds, but well, it is more it's, for it's, it's, it. Yeah, it's a yeah. commercial for everybody that doesn't have the game. Just because, like, oh, look at all these, like, final smashes. Look at all the cool but, yeah. pyrotechnics yeah. and everything. Yeah, no, I get that. And, and yeah, I think part of it is, I, I think it's not just... Yeah, and then the stage selection, too, is, like, all over the place, but... I think it's not just commercials. It's also but people, to let the door be open for more people to play. To go but, I mean, if people want to play in a, like, you know, and I guess what? Most people will consider a competitive rule set. Then they have Genesis Six, they which have is happening Evo. right now. Yeah, they yeah. have. There's plenty of other tournaments, and that's true. Nintendo does sponsor all those, like with money. So I guess yeah. it's. I guess they kind of just are, like, so, have to approach two yeah. prongs. So no one here. really has any reason to complain. It's right. just like that's an, yeah, yeah. It's just don't enter when you don't want to. This is just it. accessible, Nintendo. Yeah. Huh. I didn't really think about how this was actually proving the whole point that we were making. <laughs> I was using this also as the counterpoint, but then it was the point. So okay. No, yeah, they're still yeah. Making us do things we don't want to do. That's kind of funny, but uh, it does go back though to Nintendo's bigger revised mission statement of like they're just trying to attract people to their game specifically. So like, well, you know what video games are, but you want to compete in a competitive or in a like official capacity, we'll let you do it in a way that works with what your experience is because we want you to play our games. So I guess that's ultimately what boils down to. And I mean like. It's it, we've heard for a few years now that this is what they want to do. This isn't totally out of nowhere. I mean, they talked about how they're gonna rope people in through mobile games, through IP expansion. You know, they have stuff like the theme park coming down the pipe. They have the Mario movie from Illumination. Uh, I what you did. Unintentionally, no, but yes, it wasn't unintentional. It was. Stop it being was. modest. Okay, well, whatever. They had uh, the, they have the Mario movie from Illumination. As I started to say, that's still on the way. Apparently, it's not coming out till twenty twenty two now. Which is very far away, I feel like, because it's already been developing for over a year. But I guess these things take time. But yeah, like all that, you know, together with the uh, dedicated systems are now officially Nintendo's three pillars of their business, all to attract people to further enjoy specifically Nintendo properties. And, you know, of course, there's there's going to be crossover with these. There's, that's no surprise. I mean, one of the things Nintendo announced at the briefing were plans for a uh, Tokyo version of the Nintendo store. It'll be like Nintendo New York, but it'll be called, wait for it, Nintendo Tokyo. And uh, it's going to be in Shibuya. It's going to kind of... It's going to do what New York does. You know, it's going to be like a bridge between people getting into Nintendo's IPs and then the dedicated games and kind of servicing both those crowds. What I'm kind of surprised by is they didn't announce stores for within the Universal Parks or like at CityWalk or anything like that. That seems like a no-brainer if people are already engaging with your brand in rides. But then again, the Shibuya store is opening in 2019. The park doesn't arrive till 2020. Maybe they'll announce those closer to the park. Who knows? But that's more of an aside. Uh, the point is, they have these three pillars. And the pillar that stands tallest by far is the dedicated systems pillar, and specifically the Switch. There's an analyst uh, on Twitter named Daniel Ahmed. I forgot what, who he works for. I want to say it's like Nico Partners or something. And he tweeted a pie chart based on Nintendo's numbers that show that Switch, and Switch alone, made up 90% of all the revenue Nintendo generated during the holiday quarter. So no way. October till December. That's a lot for one thing to do. And um, like if we're going to talk about what's going on with Nintendo and where they're going next in terms of like actual things beyond just they are approachable now, um, Switch. Switch is where we got to start. And right off the bat, 
let's just as an internet collective say we told you so to Nintendo because surprise surprise everyone us included said this would happen and sure enough after many months of Nintendo saying no they finally agreed that their 20 million switch in the fiscal year forecast meaning they were going to sell 20 million of them from April of last year through end of March of this year yeah that's not happening anymore it was too ambitious we said it analysts said it media said it and now finally they're like okay yeah you're right so they lowered it to 17 million which uh it kind of feels like they went from being overly ambitious to lowballing it just so now in april when their full report comes out they can be like look guys which exceeded our expectations because like it's not doing that bad like it's really not doing bad and i say that because like switch was actually Why, how off are they how off what were they from the 20 million well they still have a quarter to fill in but in the holiday quarter, so basically what they're doing is they're like, okay, Q1 and Q2 did bleh. Q3 actually did great, but we don't think what happened in Q3 will be enough momentum in Q4 for Q4 to make up what Q1 and Q2 did not do, if that makes sense. Basically, they're just saying the second half of their fiscal year is not enough to cover the first half, which we kind of already knew. But the thing is, like in the holidays, they did super well. Switch was actually up 30%. Compared to last holiday season. It sold 9.4 million units in just the past three months worldwide. That means Switch overall is already at 32 million, which puts it on par with the N64's lifetime sales, but in under two years. It's already sold what the N64 is sold. And like pacing-wise, it's doing equal to what the Wii did in its first two years. And if you look at, like, Gesundheit. And if you look at, uh, I'm just going to let you sneeze, Gesundheit. <laughs> but I was going to say, if you look at, like, calendar year 2018, like, ignore the fiscal stuff, just the year 2018... Switch was neck and neck with PS4 globally. PS4 was at 7.7 million, or sorry, 17.7 million. Switch was at 17.4 million. They were basically selling the same number. And then here in the US, Switch actually did better than PS4 for the year. Switch was the number one selling system, both in units and dollars, in America in 2018. It had the highest total of any console since PS4 did in 2015. It also did so well that according to NPD in December, Switch outsold PS4 and Xbox One combined, both in terms of unit sales, or, yeah, unit sales and, I believe, or, well, no, it couldn't be revenue, because, yeah, revenue, because it's more expensive, yeah. Jeez, that's a lot. Yeah, and then it went on to have the best unit sales of any console since December 2018, and it went on to have the most revenue generated by any console since December 2009 with the Wii. So, like, it's not like it's doing bad, (laughs) that's the thing. Oh, and I didn't mention, it's, um... It's install base. The Switch's install base is ahead of where PS4 and Xbox One were at this time in their lives. It is 22% higher than what PS4 had, and it is 34% higher than what Xbox One had, just in the U.S., just specifically the U.S. But, like, Nintendo's own numbers, separate from all this, also showed up across the board. Like, during the presentation, Furukawa was saying how the Switch is up 4% for the first nine months of this fiscal year, April through December, compared to last year in... uh, japan and in this here in the u.s it's up 18 percent in europe it was up 40 percent which is a crazy high amount to jump so the point is like the numbers that switch achieved and what nintendo's lord forecast moved towards are still insane numbers like it's not bad in any way shape or form but you wouldn't know if you look at media stories or if you look at an analyst who literally called it and i quote a huge failure or if you look at nintendo's own stock which dropped nine percent you wouldn't know any of that because Nintendo screwed up their narrative. Oh no! They're the ones that kept promising twenty million, and when they underdeliver, the story suddenly becomes how Nintendo needed to lower their sales, how they weren't able to match what they expected. But they're still breaking records left and right. So it's a very 
weird situation. It's definitely like a, a context thing or a framing thing. And I, I do wonder on some level, like how big of a whiff was something like Nintendo Labo for their internal planning? Because like when Nintendo first predicted 20 million, uh-huh. it was riding the wave of Labo hype. Like the reveal was in January. Nintendo put this prediction out in April, a couple weeks before the product shipped. I think what they realized was that little kids don't have money. That was probably part of it. Yeah, because then because Labo came out and it just kind of like petered out. Like you know, we've been talking these last few episodes about how Labo is actually doing, and we finally know. And the answer is it's kind of interesting. Like Nintendo noted in their financial documents that Labo, the variety kit specifically of Labo, so kit number one, has sold over a million copies in of itself. Which you know. That's pretty solid. A million's nothing to scoff at. The weird thing is, then in the presentation the next day, Furukawa discussed how all three Labo kits sold over one million dollar one million units. So if we know that the variety kit on its own did a million, how poorly did those other two kits do if they didn't round it up to one point five or to two? If you're like, yeah, we sold a million with one, we also sold a million with three. It's like, well, how how did that? Ha- where what did two and three do? If they're if the number is exactly the same, so I don't know. Well, it's just it's, one of those life mysteries. I it, I think it's one of those things where it's just like Nintendo. You know, it's not doing what they wanted, and they probably banked a lot on Labo blowing up Wii Fit style, or Brain Age style, or Nintendo style to bring in large numbers of new people to Switch, and it just wasn't there. So maybe that's where part of the toy million went. I don't know, and and it's it's funny because like. Nintendo's still towing the same official line that they, you know, we expected the games to sell at a different pace than traditional games. Like, it's because they're not really games. They're like toys. And, you know, they highlighted that they're doing pro- that program with the Labos in 100 schools here in the U.S. And now in Japan, they're doing something similar where uh, they're setting up these pavilions where you could try out the Labo up through the summer or something like that. And then simultaneously here in the U.S., they have it as a special at Best Buy for $40 for any one kit, which sounds like clearance, but Nintendo's not promoting it like clearance. And all these things are like, okay, they keep saying, look, we're going to turn around Labo, we're going to turn around Labo, look what we're doing. But the problem is this slower pace they've been promising, they said the last time they made this promise that it would accelerate into the holidays, and now they're not saying that part. There's no acceleration there. It's like, yep, it's going to go slow, but we'll, we're fine with that, which, no. If you're like, yeah, we're, we're going to accelerate into the holidays and then it doesn't, you're not just like, cool, we just didn't make that money and didn't sell those systems. No problem. Like, you're obviously going to take a hit on some level. Again, this is like small stuff compared to the huge numbers they were doing. Small but potatoes. still, Yeah, but still, it's like not great. Um, and it just, I guess it just plays into the overarching issue for Switch, which is that most of the past year just didn't have enough noteworthy big releases i mean like i was saying to you before q1 q2 there was there weren't really any big movers or shakers i don't think mario tennis is a system seller i don't think donkey kong is a system seller people uh, might be buying it for evergreens i mean what you're about to say something no, I just said, Ouch. yeah i mean, would you call either of them a system what what do you think if there are any game that came out since the start of 2018 until we got let's say mario party in, in october there was not were there any games that you like buy a system for octopath kirby donkey kong octopath some people might have thought that actually, yeah, some RPG fans. Yeah, Octopath is actually. It seems like one. a pretty big deal in the RPG. Space. Yeah, no, I take that back. That's probably the one for a, especially for a company that's kind of always pushing like graphical limits and you know going nuts with Final Fantasy 15 and the underwhelming Kingdom Hearts 3. Then I mean, you the know, underwhelming Kingdom Hearts 3. We're gonna get some hate mail. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just, just, just discard that. I never played a Kingdom Hearts game. 
it doesn't matter the hate mail started and they're gonna write to us in what sounds like cryptic code but it's actually just the name of all the games because they're also badly named yeah i'm calling you out kingdom hearts your names are oh, legitimate i mean like i i literally know like i just know the the very general story over because yeah. i mean it's even confusing for people that follow it yeah but i am curious though like since this game has been like that long in the making and like i guess now that it's out like do is it a legitimately good game or are people so like you know hungry for a new one that they kind of look over the a lot of, a lot of it and you're like oh it's still an amazing game and then if they revisit it like a year later they're like you know what it actually kind of sucked this is going this is i feel like i feel like i've had that with like other games like i feel like i've experienced it i actually the, actually the collective might, fan base had it with skyward sword Actually, it might be movies. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Skyward Sword is a perfect example. When that game came out... Everyone I, loved it. We yeah. raved about it. Well, I still love it. I still do. I, I enjoy it thoroughly. I, I just... Some of the motion I'm good without. I, I, I stand <laughs> by my initial thoughts. I, I liked every bit of it, even the the motion. The, no, the motion worked but, super well. But I yeah, like, like, but, eh. it, but it was getting like 10s everywhere, like from IGN and GameStar or whatever. But then, yeah, like after a year or two, I remember hearing the same outlets. Always kind of... Referring to Skyward Sword, like that game that yeah. really sucked. Like, oh, we don't talk about that shitty ass game. <laughs> but you know, yeah, it's. I'm just wondering if Kingdom Hearts is gonna fall for that, or maybe it is legitimately good. I don't know. I don't. I yeah, it's too early to say. Because I also heard that. Um, I remember reading something. Just the, like you know, some behind the stuff. Because I was interested in the development of Kingdom Hearts more than the, the fourteen game years of development. No, no, just like the franchise in general, mm-hmm. and how they didn't think they would get a sequel, so they kind of like created like a, this nice story that just wrapped itself up in part one. But then, since they were asked to do a sequel, they just had to keep adding lore that they never expected to. So is that why it's so convoluted? So it's almost kind of like the Rocky movies. Like they wrote each Rocky movie to be the end of the franchise because <laughs> they didn't think they would get a new one, yeah. so they would keep going over the top. Like in the first one, like they make such a big deal about how like Rocky isn't in shape to fight anymore, but he's gonna do one last game. But, oh, okay, I guess that's not an issue anymore. The second one. Now, the second one, or maybe it was the first one, but he has this whole thing about his eye and how he has to watch out because he can't really see that well from this one eye and how he shouldn't even be boxing because of that eye. But then in Rocket League, it never came up again. It's not like, you know, because like, yeah, they, yeah. they didn't expect to make another one. Yeah, it's, and, like, and, t- and it's, apparently, like, it's like almost like they treat it like TV episodes. And apparently that's what happened with Kingdom Hearts. Like, they had to keep making new games that they had to keep, like, like oh damn we have to keep adding to the lore but it was already fine-tuned already but we have to keep but we need to have a game come up because you know execs like they want us to make a game so you and have fans all, let's be honest and fans. yeah and fans so you have all these like sequels or i guess spin-offs that come out before Kingdom Hearts three like six of them right they just keep adding all this stuff to the lore that didn't need to be added yeah and now they're stuck with whatever they have that actually explains a lot. It does not explain the weird titles of every single game. Like I'm oh, so glad, I'm so glad, Ki- I'm so glad Kingdom Hearts Three is not called 2. like two point eight remix or like or chapter. like three eighty five divided by eight or whatever it is by two it's like, by yeah. two. It's just three six like, five by two. Oh, that makes more sense. That's the number of days in a year, and I guess it's a half year. But like, yeah, imagine if it was called Kingdom Hearts. Like, I don't even know what Kingdom Hearts Three would be called. Something bad. Kingdom Hearts 1, 1, 1 well, over the, 1 divided by 1 or something. I mean, at least the trilogy is just 1, 2, and 3. But yeah. Yeah, everything else is like... Are birth by sleep. Yeah. I just like those last ones, like the ones that combine them were just like 1.8, 1. 1. 1.5. Yeah, they they are so... Yeah. 2.8. Listen, if I want to do fractions, if I want to do fractions, Brain Age is right there. I don't need to start playing Kingdom Hearts for that. 
But yeah, it's uh, I, I think it's going to be one of those games that it'll be really interesting. You're right to revisit in like six months, or just revisit the fandom in like six months and see it there. Yeah, I mean, I have. A I'm already hearing stuff like people are getting really fed up with Donald and Goofy constantly telling them that there's stuff nearby or whatever. Like there's a meme of that going around. So there's Donald's gonna be the new Navi. Watch. Yeah, I have, good thing I have a few very much. Um, I guess yeah, this hardcore Kingdom Heart fans that I know would replay the game later. So I'm definitely gonna ask them. In a few months, just what they think about it. Right, I'd be curious. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. But you know, speaking of successful games, we talked about what didn't work for Nintendo. How about what did? Q3 was wild. <laughs> like Q3 is the holiday quarter. That's specifically again October through end of December, and I feel like this is the buried lead of Nintendo's financials. Their holiday performance was insane. I mean, like literally insane. In the holiday alone, Nintendo sold so much that they passed their net profit forecast for the entire year in three months. That's a lot of money. It took only three months. It was their best holiday quarter since 2009, which is peak Wii days. And even though they dropped the hardware forecast, their software is doing so well, they actually raised how many games they plan to sell this fiscal year going into these last three months from 100 million games to 110 million games. That is a lot of video games. Like, a lot, a lot. And like I, I just give you a sense of how crazy these numbers are. Here's a quick stat dump, opposed to these not quick stat dumps I've been doing. Smash Bros. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate sold 12 million copies worldwide. It's not just the best selling or, or fastest selling Smash Bros. game. It's not the best. It's fastest. Uh, it's also the fastest selling home Nintendo console release ever. It has beaten at the previous record holder, which apparently was New Super Mario Brothers Wii. Who knew? That sold ten and a half million when it uh, when it uh, came out to be fastest selling. Now we got this with twelve. And to give you a sense of how it compares to other smashes, Ultimate sold ninety one percent of Brawl's Brawl's entire lifetime sales in a single month. Brawl. Brawl. The one that was on the Wii. Yes. Wow. It did ninety one percent of Brawl sales in one month. That was a sincere while because the Wii, you know, yeah, it's the Wii. Exactly. And over a third of all Switch owners already own and Ultimate. As, and as much as people hate that game now because of, you know the tripping. That's another game that people loved in the beginning because yeah. it was Smash Brothers, but yeah. but over time they found cracks in the facade. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the crazy thing, if you thought that was kinda crazy. Over a third of all Switch owners already own... I think it was kind of crazy. What? No, yeah, I guess I do think it was kind of crazy. Like, it is insane, because Brawl was such a massive game yeah. in the Smash World. I mean, everyone... But, I mean, it was the first game after Melee, so of course everyone's going to get it. And here's the thing. That number, the 12 million, the 91%, that's not up to date. That's whenever Nintendo cut off the tracking. It's probably past Brawl by now. The game's barely out. Over a third of all Switch owners... And not owners, even counting digital sales? No, these do. This is oh, from Nintendo okay. themselves. Uh, oh, but over a third of all Switch owners, they own the game already. That means it's now has the, it now has the third highest adoption rate of any Switch game behind Mario Kart 8 and Mario Odyssey. It leapfrogged right over Breath of the Wild, which was a launch game. Like, again, this is all in a month, roughly, maybe five weeks. That's crazy. And then here in the U.S., here comes where, it's, where digital is not included. Uh, here in the U.S., December just belonged to Smash Bros. Like, MPD put out their December chart, and Smash wasn't just the top-selling game in December. It was the single biggest launch month for any console exclusive on any platform in the history of the MPD tracking. It sold 3.6 million in the U.S. alone. That tops Halo's record of 3.3 million. And again, that doesn't even count digital downloads, like you were saying before. eShop's not counted whatsoever. It's literally strictly the physical copies. Imagine, like, how much higher that is just in the U.S., if you had digital. Nintendo actually told us. You don't need to imagine. I forgot. They put out that it's over 10 million. Or no, sorry, 5 million. It's over 5 million. 
hmm. in the U.S. alone. Like to put that in perspective, Spider-Man, back in September, huge deal on PS4, and it should be. It's a good game from what I've heard. Yeah, I kind of want to play it maybe one day. It's supposedly the fastest selling PS4 exclusive ever. Wow. And one of the top exclusives on I'm PlayStation. Considering ever. Like when God of War came out, they were saying yeah, like that thing and had a Yeah, and Spider Man outdid it. And here's the thing it is Spider Man, though. I mean, he it has the Marvel appeal, has the Spidey appeal. Yeah, there's yeah. multiple fan bases. And then here. you also have, like, I mean, considering God of War did as good as it did, I feel that's pretty impressive in and of itself just because of the reputation it had before that. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, Sony had a killer 2018. Yeah. But. Um, Monster Hunter's help. Yeah, like it was, it was a good year for them, and, and Spider Man was supposedly like top of the pot, the PS4, king of the hill. There, as old as it is, I, I know. Went, the other day, Elvis asked me like, that, you know, "Well, I mean, we're just having a conversation about like the next, like that they're already getting ready to talk about the next console." And I'm all like, "Well, but it hasn't been five years yet because I, but it has in my head, <laughs> I kind of took the release of the PS4 Pro, like that just became my new like release day when yeah. the PS4 came out because it almost felt like another launch. I had the same it, exact. It's almost thought. like a different. And I'm like, didn't it come out like in 2015? Like, oh no, it was like 2013 or something like that. Yeah, I did the exact same thought. Like, it's Whoa. gonna, it's gonna be seven years, eight years old by the time yeah. they get, put the new one out. Which 2012 crazy. or 2013? I don't really remember. It was uh, 13 as the year after Wii U. Yeah, because there's that sweet spot when Wii U came out where it was. Oh yeah, it came out early console. 2013, didn't it? No, it came out. Oh, uh, they announced it in February and then it came out in November. Oh, okay. They did that big press conference in New York in February. That's probably what you're thinking of. But um, anyway, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, Spider-Man. No. The reason I brought up Spider-Man <laughs> – I go, don't leave me alone. The reason I brought up Spider-Man is because they're claiming that's like the fastest selling PS4 exclusive ever. And in three months, it sold $9 million. In one month, Smash did 12 And that's not even counting January. That's like just th- – think about how massive Smash is as a result of that. And like – with DLC that's mapped out through like twenty all twenty twenty, I think, right? They said it's gonna be like a year and a half of DLC. Like I could see Smash being a long, long tail seller. Like this it could be what Mario Kart Wii was for the Wii, but for Switch. Like Mario Kart basically became one of the top selling games on Wii after it came out, and it lasted until Wii died, and it resulted in something like thirty seven million copies being sold. And Smash now has the potential to do that. It seems to have crossed some sort of, some sort of threshold. And it's actually kind of funny in the briefing, um, Furukawa gave a surprisingly like kumbaya reason for why it's doing so well. He basically argued, I, I wish I was making this up, it's so good because it's so like, ugh. He, uh, he argued, you know the mantra of everyone is here for the game? It's not just uh, It's not just applying to those who are in the game, he said. He says also about who's playing the game. He noted, this is, again, this is real. He noted that the, um, that more than other smashes, like all sorts of different people from often sorts of walks of gaming life were picking up the game because with the entire roster and all these third-party characters, everyone has someone or some franchise in Smash that resonates with them, more so than ever before. So they're seeing a lot of people that don't traditionally buy Smash buying Smash. And that could just be some nice PR fluff that makes the everyone is here, like, slogan sound so much better. But it does pretty much guarantee that if there's truth behind it, Smash is going to be an evergreen title. Every time someone buys a Switch, Smash is going to be one of those games they buy along with like uh, Odyssey and Kart and Zelda and what have you. So like this this game is this game has legs. It's not going anywhere. This is probably going to be like one, the biggest game on Switch with all said and done. Wow. Yeah. So go Smash. Go Sakurai. He he really turned out a good product. And hopefully he's on vacation. I hope so. He's probably doing DLC though. Yeah. I mean, he did just take all the composers out to dinner the other night, so he's getting a little break here and there. <laughs> it was but, the most stressed out dinner. It was the most stressed out dinner because he had to, yep, he had to organize forty composers or whatever. Anyway, 
So that's one game that that contributed to this crazy number. And then there's also their other big holiday release, Pokemon Let's Go. And you don't really hear as much about Let's Go anymore. Like in November, it was a big deal. In December, like here in the States, it, it did fine. Don't get me wrong. But like Let's Go Pikachu was number, uh, I think, nine on the top ten. Let's Go Eevee didn't even make the top ten. It was down at number 12. Makes sense. Hey, Team Eevee. Listen, I've already I've Ariana Grande on my side, okay? Huh? Ariana Grande tweeted that she played put Let's Go Eevee for 15 hours one day, which I don't believe. But then, like, two days later, she apparently got a tattoo of Eevee on her arm. Can so, I believe it? I don't know if the tattoo's real, but I'm choosing to believe it is, and I'm saying that we have the best team representative. I don't see a pop star that dated an SNL person and broke up with the SNL person, but then oh. launched his tattoo I mean, I wasn't... to do even more... My makes sense wasn't that Eevee was doing lower, just that Pokemon wasn't. Oh, well, no, no, no. That's the thing. It's not having that much attention. But in the background, it's chugging along with surprisingly good numbers. Like, together, worldwide, the two versions have already sold over 10 million copies. As a point of reference, Sun and Moon, when Nintendo talked about them and their financials in January 20, I guess, 17, after they came out, or 18, whatever January that was, they were sitting at 14 million. But got to take into consideration that switch has a smaller user base than the 3ds by a couple tens of millions so 10 million versus 14 million not bad like if you then factor in let's say you know the the switch bump where every first party game seems to get a boost on switch and they take into consideration how fast smash is selling i'd argue that when they do gen 8 next holiday season or whenever it's very very possible that it's going to become the fastest selling pokemon game like if let's go which is a spin-off essentially was able to do 10 million and be that close to sun and moon's performance i don't know what's gonna stop a core pokemon game quote unquote from really going to the next level of course on the flip side if gen 8 sells under the numbers that let's go is doing i'm pretty sure that means that uh we're gonna see let's go become the main move for the franchise pokemon you know pokemon company and game freak are probably considered a lot more important so it's really it's kind of whatever whatever Gen Eight does is gonna make or break the series at this point for someone like you I feel like. Um, but yeah, so that's Pokemon. That's number two of the big games. All right, that's Pokemon. The real surprise though is Super Mario Party. Like even Nintendo seemed caught off guard by how big the numbers are. They spooked them. I, I wouldn't say they spooked them, but they were definitely like, we didn't expect this. Like thus far, Super Mario Party has sold over five million copies, and there's no signs of it slowing down. Like, in the December MPD, it actually ranked higher than Pokemon. Granted, only by one point. It was number eight on the chart. Let's go. Pikachu is number nine. But still, Mario Party ranked higher than a Pokemon game a month after the Pokemon game came out. Mario Party is older. But it, it it's weird because Mario Party never does this well. And, like, no one expected it to do yeah, this well. Yeah, but it's on Super Mario Party. It's not just yeah, so, regular, so apparently, this, this is your mom and dad's Mario Party. Yeah, this is, this is a new generation of Mario Party. But apparently... Your mom and dad want to play it too. Like the thing that is what Nintendo thinks is the reason it's doing so well is it's resonating stronger with 20-somethings than Nintendo expected. So maybe not quite your mom and dad, but you know. Hmm. We are 20-somethings. We are 20-somethings, barely. barely. I know, sad. Uh, but yeah, like it's it, the game – like Nintendo basically went – You should not speak for yourself. I'm still 20 You're four months younger than me. <laughs> I'm also still not 30 for the record. <laughs> But, um, yeah, Nintendo, like, they went into it saying, hey, this game's going to do well because it has the Switch's mantra, play anytime, anywhere, it's multiplayer first, it'll be great. But it sounds like, based on what Fur Color was saying in the presentation, they did not expect the nostalgia angle to sell it so strongly. And now they're like, well, 
I guess we really got another evergreen on our hands. This thing's doing great. Which, um, maybe that explains the lack of DLC. I don't know. Like, I feel like every time we talk about Super Mario Party, we now bring this up. But it is seriously weird that we have a game that sells 5 million copies and has a total of 5 boards and that's it and no plans for more. Like, Kirby had DLC. Mario Tennis had DLC. Snipper Clips had DLC. Yeah. How does Super Mario Party not have DLC and sell this much? It, it's funny because Kotaku actually put up an article yesterday that kind of read my mind about this. And they're the ones that point out that even Snipperclips has DLC. But it's just like, how do you have a game that's selling this well and not a peep about any sort of additional content or making money on it? Is this like a game from, ni- from like 1995 where DLC wasn't a thing? You're just like, oh, cool, our game did well. Guess we'll make a sequel. Like, what is this? It's so weird. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I think the hope is if Nintendo was truly caught off guard by the success of this, as they said they are, maybe they'll add something down the line. I mean, Mario Tennis Aces just the other day, like two days ago, got an update that finally lets you pick your court when playing multiplayer, which is something that probably should be in there since day one, and it took them nine months to do. But my point is, like, it has it. Better late than never. So maybe we will get Mario Party DLC down the line. But as of right now, it's weird. Like, it's really weird. They're basically selling a game that has about the same amount of content as Kirby or Mario Tennis, but those all had long-term plans, or ARMS, but those all had long-term plans. This doesn't yet it's selling better than the ones that did with all those dlc characters well it will be hopefully but back to back to the sales point i was getting at besides these three games doing so well uh you've also what switch has in its favors there's also just kind of a general thirst for games of every type like that's really what drove home the crazy performance like these three games did great but then nintendo noted that so far, from since April, just in the period of April to December, 20 different games proceeded to sell a million or more copies. And this could be like their first million or addition, or an additional million on top of a million they already sold. doesn't matter. They have, 20 million, they have 20 million seller games just in the last nine months. On the first party side, it's really like every game they put out. I mean, besides obviously Smash and Pokemon and Mario Party, 2018 also saw all the evergreens do well. Mario Kart 8, it's now at 15 million sold since launch. Mario Odyssey has officially surpassed the original Mario Galaxy. It is nice. now the best-selling 3D Mario game ever. Now that is news I could get behind. Is it? I thought you liked Galaxy more than Odyssey. Um, you like Galaxy more than Galaxy? I like Galaxy more than Odyssey. But just past Galaxy in sales. I oh, mean, so now you can support the underdog. Oh, you can be the you, you can have your little niche Mario well, I mean, game I, that no one plays. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, like I want Odyssey to do well because that means more yeah. Mario games. If it, it does, if it happens to do poorly, then I mean, Even if it happens, yeah. To, yeah, make the other. Do I well. don't want them to get the idea like, oh man, people really aren't interested in 3D Mario sure. because that's always kind of been the concern. Been, yeah, the concern that they've been getting, and I mean, and the numbers kind of show it. Like as good as the games are, they always underperform compared to 2D Mario by, by, no, by yeah, like factors of ten <laughs> or yeah. two. Um, and we're talking more than like just ten too. It's like no, no, yeah, not like the no. It's like it's like this sold ten more. It, <laughs> it, it's not ten fa- factor of ten either, really, because that would be like five hundred million <laughs> copies. But yeah, it's oh, like wait, the, we're talking millions. Yeah, the, the okay. two the two D ones sell like in the twenties, thirties, forties. The three D ones sell in the, the teens five, or yeah, the five tens. or tens or something. Yeah, like that. but yeah, so it's a good sign that Aussie's doing that well. And then you also got Breath of the Wild. It's now closing in on fourteen million. That is. Six million ahead of its runner-up, Twilight Princess, for best-selling Zelda, selling, uh, Zelda game, 
And then there's a ton of games that just like somehow sold a million. Splatoon 2 chugging along. I think it's doubled the it's done I think it's doubled the sales of the original Splatoon, which were also mm. crazy high. Mar- uh, crazy high for the, the Wii, Wii U because yeah. it barely sold a million. So if it doubled it, isn't that no, not no, no, much? It, no, 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 uh, no. Splatoon sold a, a ton of, of Wii U owners ended up owning Splatoon. I want to say it was like sixty percent or some insane number. I could pull them up right now and see. But no, it's like uh, Splatoon's doing pretty, pretty good. But it's not just Splatoon. It's also like, like I said, like literally every game. Water Tennis Aces sold a million. Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze sold a million. Labo, as we mentioned before, uh, even Captain Toad. The port of Captain Toad managed to sell a million. Oh, I forgot that had a port. I did too, and I love Captain Toad. But yeah, yeah so, but you had it already. I had it on. Um, I'm surprised you didn't get it. For I had 3DS, on Wii U. Actually. I had on Wii U. Why did I get it on three? Yeah. So the original Splatoon, I guess, on an even more portable factor than on the Switch. I don't have it on Switch. I had it on the Wii U. That's right. Oh, an addition. It's the same game. They only added. They took a. Maybe you'll beat it on one of these other consoles. No. Well, to, I mean, to, it's not going to get beat on the Wii U. That's true. I saw my Wii U hooked up. It could, but it won't. But it could, but it won't. Um. So Splatoon on Wii U. Speaking of Wii U, sold four point nine four million units out of a total of what? Like I think it was like thirteen million Wii U's. So a third owned it, which is nowhere near what I said as the adoption rate. But on Switch, Splatoon two is at 8.27 million. So yeah, it's basically doubled it so far. Hmm. So it's a smaller success for Nintendo, but it's still doing well. Um, but yeah, all these there's all these million sellers. And it's so many million sellers that Nintendo has that if you go to their financial and like investor site, which is where it's just pulling these numbers, um, the, we, the Switch, they don't even put games that sell under 2 million on the top seller list anymore. It bombs out at the 2 million sellers because they have that many million sellers. And uh, the rest, like that obviously wasn't all 20 games that have sold a million. There were also eight third-party games that sold a million. And Nintendo didn't say which they were, but we do know that Octopath Traveler is at 1.27 million worldwide since July. So that's obviously one of them. And if I had to guess, Mario and Rabbids probably because it's basically a Mario game. Maybe Diablo 3 because they had a crazy amount of marketing behind it. I mean, are there any third-party games you could think of that are just like, oh yeah, this is one that probably did super well? On the Switch? Yeah, on the Switch. Like, mm, I, I, did Dark Souls do well? I don't think it did a million well. Like, that's the thing. Is I can't really think of any. Warren Rabbids? Yeah, I said that one. Um, yeah, I don't know then. Yeah, it's... it's it's. I'm, I wonder if they include indies have... in that. Because, like, Stardew has done that well. But I don't know if that counts. Like, it's weird. Because, like, you would think if there are six other million sell, Seven other million seller third-party games in just 2018 on Switch... We would probably be able to think of those games. Like you'd think they'd be impactful enough, hmm. but I guess they're just such a scattershot of different games that yeah, there's stuff we can't even think of. But I mean, regardless of those seven or however many, um, it's also kind of interesting that Furukawa said in the presentation that third-party sales have more than doubled on Switch compared to a year ago, and digital sales have more than doubled compared to a year ago. And now we're starting to see that really reflected in third-party interest more than before. Like not just the number of games announced for Switch. But just the number of developers that are interested in Switch. Uh, Game Developers Conference, GDC. They put out a survey. GDC. They put out a survey of their members, and it showed that for just shy of half of them, Switch is currently the platform they're most interested in. When was the last time Nintendo had a system that had that much buzz among developers, where third parties and indies were like, Switch is my top platform of choice? Nintendo is the top 
company we want to work with. I can't even think of when that happened. That's kind of crazy. Like, that's how big this has gotten. And a quarter of them said that of the games they already have out, they perform best on Switch. So it's like win, win, win. I mean, basically, the point I'm getting at is if it's on Switch, it's going to sell well. People will buy it. I mean, somehow even one, two Switch managed to sell another quarter of a million this past holiday season. I don't know who these 220-some-odd thousand people were, but they bought one, two Switch. And it's this, it's this like huge thirst for games that's really the success story of Switch at this point. Like, that's why that's what's keeping Nintendo afloat right now. That's what the re- crazy revenue is being generated by. Like, obviously, Switch itself is selling. Maybe not the number Nintendo wanted, but these games are where driving people buy Switch. And it's just kind of this endless circle. Um, the thing is, though, you do need these games for there to be people buying Switch and for there to be this thirst. And now here in Q4, this current post-holiday period we're in, which is January to March, we don't really have that. Nintendo's just kind of riding out the long tail of the holidays. So, you know, they're hoping Smash, Pokemon, Mario Party sell well. They got New Super Mario Brothers, U Deluxe, which I guess will probably move some units. But, like, the fact that they lowered the 20 million Switch forecast to 17 million essentially rules out any chance of a surprise major release before Crafted World hits at the end of March. Like, we're not going to see anything before Yoshi if they lowered the expectations for these three months. Like, they would have to tell us by now if there's a big game, and that game presumably would not make them need to lower the expectations. It also kind of explains why we didn't get a Direct in January. Nintendo literally has nothing to show us right now. At all. I mean, there are even rumors that Crafted World was actually finished back in December, or as long as six months ago, and they've just been kind of sitting on it to pad out the calendar. Someone, I guess, data mined the eShop server and found Yoshi's thing on there as old as December, or as recently as December. And then there are other reports that have been done even longer. So, to kind of like, and you know, I, I guess you could actually kind of imagine that Mario U is probably the same thing. They didn't need to release Mario U in January. It's a port. They could do it whenever they want. But they're like, well, we need games. Here you go. But um, what I started to say is to just kind of close the circle here. I think this current situation that we're in right now, January, March, no real games, is as much a reason why the hardware forecast was lowered as the week Q1 and Q2 was. What's funny is, uh, like I started to say earlier, Nintendo kind of dug their own grave here. Like, the narrative of Switch doing poorly is entirely on them because it really isn't doing poorly outside of any other metric except the metric Nintendo themselves created. If they never said 20 million the story would be entirely different but they got overly ambitious and then they had to hope and pray the holiday quarter would pick up the slack for them even more than they already did and that didn't pan out and now they have to kind of tuck their tail between their legs and be like well yeah we kind of botched that so we're going to lower the expectation and it's very similar to the whole delay situation with Metroid Prime 4 as I'm sure everyone listening and certainly you Angel but as I'm sure everyone listening heard or saw Nintendo put out this three-minute development update video for Metroid Prime 4 explaining that the development is starting over from from scratch because the game wasn't up to Nintendo standards. And this time, it's going to be handled by Retro Studios. And of course, this will not happen. They have to apologize because they announced it too early? Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Of course, if they didn't set their own, uh, back themselves into a corner here by announcing it two years before it would probably should have been announced, we wouldn't have this problem. Like, it's really a situation Nintendo's own making. And it proves your point, Angel, that you make time kind of again that they announce things too early these days. Why is it early? They literally had nothing to show. Hey, they had a logo with a cool blue glowy thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I do have to say, like, they screwed up announcing it so early. But I appreciate 
how transparent and honest they were when they decided to tell us what was going on. Like, delaying games is nothing new for Nintendo. And most companies, even Nintendo in the past... Oh, just like Breath of the Wild. Yeah, right? And they, yeah, they delayed that. Just like the Smash Brothers Brawl. Look at literally anything. I mean, this is granted a little longer delay, but, like, in the past, what Nintendo would do, or most companies would do, you know, maybe salvage some footage of the scrap version, maybe... Oh, I just hit the mic. Yes, you did. Look at that spike. But, yeah, uh, you know, they could salvage footage of of the scrap version. They can compile it together and throw it in a direct as a really brief update and say, like, hey, guys, um... Retro's going to step in and help us put some finishing touches on the game. But stay tuned. We'll have more news soon. But they didn't do that. They trotted out Shinya Takahashi. He's the head of all game development at Nintendo. He runs the software at Nintendo. And had him basically be like, yup, we screwed up. It's not good. We're going to restart. And it's kind of refreshing to actually have a company be that honest with fans. And I think most of the gaming community seemed to appreciate that Nintendo was that honest and wants to do right and actually put out a good product, delays be damned or whatever. It's just... Like, it I don't know. Well I want to see. I want to say this isn't as common in film. Like, I want, it's not because they don't. Yeah, because I feel like the hype cycle is very different. Yeah, and I feel like they also don't really have the wiggle room most of the time to start over because like they just have that set budget. And it's like, well, we have to put this movie out. It is what it is. And... There's some that are in development hell forever. I mean, uh, well, that's a, they, new Fe- Dark Phoenix X Men movie has been in development for like two years, or it's been done a sort of for like two years. And it's like some like either never get finished or they yeah. just come out terrible because they can't really, I don't know, but, and, and that's completely what makes, start over. That's what makes the Metroid thing so commendable is Nintendo could have just been like, like get, that happens with games. Games get overhyped and then they come out and they're kind of meh or something goes wrong in development that you find out later. You know, like Red Steel, I feel like, had that issue on Wii where it was very overhyped and it ended up being a decent game, but people were expecting greatness and they got good. So we didn't go over too smoothly. Um, yeah, Fallout seventy six. Yeah, Fallout seventy six. Well, Fallout seventy six had promised at the start because no one was on board with the concept. But, mm. but yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's bad news when the game gets delayed. But like, if you go look at the YouTube video that Nintendo put out, it's four thousand dislikes versus one hundred twenty two thousand likes. Like most people get it. If you are transparent, if you explain what's going on, they'll understand the delay. They appreciate you cutting through the PRBS. Like, it really seems like an effective way to handle the message. And it's nice that Nintendo did that. Like, it all kind of goes back to that Miyamoto quote about how, you know, a delayed game is eventually good, a bad game is bad forever. And people get that. So it's kind of cool that Nintendo didn't try and bury it. They just were honest. And it does explain why Metroid was MIA at the Game Awards. So many insiders and people in the know and actual, like, there's actual, like, sizable, I wouldn't say evidence, but sort of evidence that there was going to be Metroid at the Game Awards and it just wasn't there and now we know why it, there, things went wrong but at the same time now that we know what's going on it raises all sorts of new questions I mean first of course is what happened why is Metroid being rebooted why is why don't we have it coming out sooner rather than later and Nintendo didn't really say why and we will never officially know why because we don't even know who the developer officially was but you may recall at one point we talked about it on the show it was rumored that a Namco Bandai studio in Shanghai was involved with the development. Some developers leaked in, uh, leaked in, LinkedIn page leaked. There we go. I can talk. Um, and what we've since learned, according to a Game Informer editor on Twitter, uh, there were multiple studios working on Metroid Prime 4. Apparently, this was uh, this was Nintendo trying to pull on Ubisoft. This was them doing an Ubisoft-style approach to development where they have different teams in different places do different parts of the game. Clearly, it didn't work. 
According to that Game Informer editor, uh, some parts of the game were on track, other parts were way behind, nothing was co- like cohesive, and that's what went wrong. And then in comes Retro Studios, who apparently on their own decided to pitch Nintendo with a Metro Prime 4 demo, and they got, as a result, to take over the project. That, in and of itself, then leads to even more questions. First of all, does this guarantee a return to form for Metro Prime 4? Um, I'd argue not as much as you would think, because Retro Studios is more than... It's really just a name now. It's more, it's more a, a brand than it is an actual group of developers. They have maybe I don't know half a dozen people that worked on the original trilogy. Everyone else has gone on to other studios. Um, doesn't mean the game will be bad. I think Donkey Kong Crew can't handle it. No, that's not what I'm saying. It doesn't mean it'll be bad. Tropical Freeze shows and returns shows that they are a very talented team. But this isn't getting the band back together. It's like, oh, we're giving it back to the guys. No, this is like a whole new band trying to capture the sound of another band. It could still work. I'm still pretty confident in retro, but it's not exactly like they're giving it back to the guys that made the trilogy. It's still different people for the most part. Um, There's actually a funny tweet I saw from Brian Altano from IGN uh, that kind of sums up how I feel towards Prime 4. Like, I am pretty confident in retro, but he said that Several Metroid games begin with Samus having all her powers, losing everything, and then slowly regaining them and more to become more powerful than ever. So she'll be fine. Which is true. Like, it doesn't, this isn't necessarily a setback. It's just they're just approaching it a different way. And with Metroid, things usually turn out well because Nintendo doesn't let them not turn out well. Other M story and Federation Force uh, fan feedback aside. So I'm pretty confident that it's going to be okay. I mean, what, what's your gauge on it? Like, you, do you trust Retro with this, even though it's not the same people? I never yeah. really cared who developed it. I just want well, a good quality product. Yeah, so I I'll just wait until I see something. Yeah, that's fair. It does, however, raise a different question. Just don't tell me. <laughs> like, like even this is like like I don't know. I, I'm I'm well, at this, I'm, I'm, at done, this I'm point, just done with this. I'm getting too old for this. At this point, they definitely need to tell people, hey, the game's not coming out anytime soon. I mean, because you can't just announce a game and go radio sign for like eight years. This isn't Duke Nuke or. Was it Duke Nukem? Yeah, Duke Nukem forever. This isn't Duke Nukem. That's not Nintendo. But it does raise a different question. What's going? What has retro? What does this mean for Retro's like past two or three years of work? The rumor, which I loved, was Star Fox Grand Prix, which I still want to be true. And I think one of two things can happen here: either that game is just about done, and Retro is now able to move on to new things, or that game somehow got canceled too, and now we just have Metro Prime Four from scratch, from a different studio. I want to believe Star Fox is just about done and that we could actually see it this year because during the presentation's Q&A, Furukawa promised that Nintendo has a game coming in 2019 that will, quote, make everyone happy or make the fans happy or something along those lines and, quote, be suitable for online play. Something like Star Fox Grand Prix feels like... The worst possible thing they could do. Well, see, no, see, that feels like some... It feels like what Nintendo thinks checks those boxes because... And this is wishful point, thinking on my part. But, zero and that's it. Well, that's probably what Nintendo's thinking is like, if this is true, fans always want a Star Fox. Fans definitely no, want an F Zero. Star Fox. What? I said we never want a Star Fox. You never they, want a Star they Fox. They just keep giving them to us and they keep being so poor. No, because everyone's like, oh, we want like a good Star Fox. It's like a zero mission. It's like a zero. I know, I know. But my but what I'm getting at is like, fans, I at least want a good Star Fox. I like Zero, by the way, but fans want a good Star Fox. Fans, I mean, fans really... With, fans with good taste, at least. Oof, shots fired. But no, but fans really want F-Zero, as you literally just demonstrated. And, theoretically, Star Fox Grand Prix would cover both. In Nintendo's mind, it would be making both sets of fans happy in some way. 
granted, in reality, it might be more of a Metroid Prime Federation Force situation where Nintendo's like, yeah, this makes sense. Let's green light that. We can get the Star Fox fans and the F-Zero fans in one game. Perfect. And then all the fans are like, what is this? Which is exactly what happened with Federation Force. But um, I could see this being what they think will be the trick. And then they say, you know, suitable for online play. Online is a shoe-in for a game like this. It was a major component of the rumor. And, like, you'd have a big story mode, but have a big online component, and they'd interact in some way. And, you know, having a racing game, a futuristic racing game like Star Fox Grand Prix is pretty different if you're having your online service also focus on Animal Crossing and Pokemon. Like, they're very three very distinctly different games, so it kind of lines up. Does that mean that's what it is? Who knows? I mean, what 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 game would you want? If Nintendo said to you, okay, we're making fans happy, and we're doing an online game. F-Zero. Just F-Zero? Just plain F-Zero. Well, I mean, I'd actually be Something cool more that. like F-Zero GX, but that's about it. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually be very okay with that. They can drop... Gra- I mean, I don't even I think mean, already have be- Smash Brothers. They could not release a game... Ever. Ever, and that's it. And the only reason I think... That's all I really need Nintendo for at this point. Wow. Wow, you're just using them. Well, I got my PS4 and Resident Evil 2. Oh, that's not going to last you forever, let's be honest. Oh, and whatever other Tales games come out. So. That also won't last you forever, let's be honest. There's still all the indies you're going to download. But indies? You have so many like multiplayer indie games on your Switch. Yeah, but I'm, I'm talking more single I know, player I know. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um... F-Zero seems like it would make sense, but I don't know if it's going to sell well enough on its own. Like, Star Fox has the the, the brand attached that makes mm, for better sales. It, it seems like having it attaching Star Fox to something is just like a... Like a a death wish. Death, yeah. well, well, we as fans sometimes may feel that way, but I feel like Nintendo has not picked up on that. I mean, did it help that... Starlink? Work? Starlink? Oh, the Switch version sold best. Yeah, but that's... And that's the end of that sentence. <laughs> There's no, there's no, I don't, it did not do well. I mean, did it sell more because it's on Switch and the Switch games just sell better or because Star Fox is there? I would argue that Star Fox heard it and it could have sold more. I would argue you're definitely wrong. (laughs) There are so many people that only got it for Star Fox, let's be honest. Original IP that no one's heard of, looks like a kid's show and then Fox is suddenly in it. I mean, it almost got me by it. But, but yeah, whatever they do with, with online, I mean... I think the timing is certainly interesting for for a Grand Prix or whatever it may be because right now Switch Online has eight million subscribers, according to Nintendo. This includes family plans, individual and individual accounts, which means we're talking around twenty five percent of people who own a Switch have Switch Online in a subscription in some capacity. That in and of itself is actually a pretty solid starting place for an online subscription service. It's only been five months, but now they need to get the other three quarters on board. And according to Japan's Nikkei newspaper. One goal of Nintendo's is to strengthen the service with more core gamer-friendly features. And I feel like if they have a big racing game that rolls out with those, that would line up nicely. I mean, I I don't know what that means, core gamer-friendly features. I assume for you that would mean messaging? (laughs) Like, what what is a core gamer-friendly feature at this point in Switch Online? Like, what would you need? What would you need to suddenly be like, yeah, this makes sense as a gamer? Um, easy way to join other people's games or to invite uh, friends into games. Yeah. I mean, the Wii U kind of did that. Like, if you just want to say, like, "Hey, join my game," it's like, "All right, cool. I'm just gonna send you this invite, and if you have the game in your console, it's gonna boot it up automatically and take you straight to there." Right. Like how every other game on every other console does. But no, it's like, no, let me boot up the game, go through the menus. Okay, now what, what's the code for your arena or for your room? Oh, that's true. Yeah, if they could streamline that, that'd be nice. Yeah, it's like just give us like a an invite button and uh yeah it just takes you there you know what i want honestly 
I just want to know what happened to Smash World. Like, the Smash 2.0 update came out, and that, it, that was it. There's not a peep about Smash World. And now out of nowhere, Nintendo's doing what's basically the Twitter version of Smash World. They're calling it the Smash Picture Dojo. And in Japan, on their Japanese Smash account, they're going to tweet out a theme. You create a picture, you tweet the picture, and then Sakurai himself will retweet some of them and judge them by himself, of his own accord, what he thinks is best. In other words, it's like a manual version of Smash World, or what Smash World is supposed to be, but with images instead of videos. And hypothetically, he may even retweet videos. We don't know. We don't know how Lucy's going to play it. And I get it's for marketing, but it kind of just underlines the lack of Smash World. Like, this is supposed to be a, a thing with Switch Online. Like, that's going to be one. It's like a little social network for Smash, but where is it? And really, now that I think about it, I just kind of want Switch Online in general to use the app more. Like, I get matchmaking, that makes sense, and honestly, we want messaging, but. You know, things that actually affect gameplay? No, but, like, think about the app. Like, give us friend notifications on there. Let us chat and set up games. Make more game specific apps. Like, my app can tell me the next Splatfest in Splatoon is Waffles versus Pancakes. That's what we're right? supposed to be able to do with the Switch at some point. But I know, but it... we can't. So at least give it on the app in some capacity. Like, like uh, I I don't understand why it could tell me Waffles versus Pancakes is happening next week in Splatoon. They're running Team Pancakes, ideas. by the way. No, they're not. That's a great one. That's one of the better ones they've done in a while. Really? But, yeah. Uh, I feel like overall they've all been pretty lackluster. They have, but this is one of the better of the worst. <laughs> like, if you uh, take a bucket of, of meh, there's still a hierarchy of less to more meh within the meh bucket. All right. You can quote me. That, that's a poll quote for this podcast. <laughs> you take a bucket of meh. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, like, I very easily would be a pancake. Like, that's an easy choice. Pancake. But my point is... Oh, I should rephrase that. I would not be a pancake, personally. Yeah, just make me a pancake. It's like, like a weird pickle rick sort of deal. But no, uh, my point is, so we can know that, and yeah, but they can't at the same time tell us who's in the next ARMS party crash, which is literally the exact same thing as a Splatfest, but in a different game. I don't get it. Like, it makes Have they no not sense. done every combination of fights by this point? Of what? Have they not done every combination of party crashes by this point? I mean, I, there aren't that many characters. You know, I guess not, because they still tweet them out for Nintendo Versus, and I've, I've yet to see a duplicate, but I also haven't check that closely but i mean they i don't know if they've run out because you have what 16 characters 12 characters some amount and if you think about it you every character can go against every other 11 characters hmm. so that's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of characters game isn't even a year how often do they do them or games two, uh, they, like, only a year and a half old i mean no, do they do these like once a month it's like so. every few weeks yeah i don't know the exact, it might be once a month it's basically like the smat the splat fest frequency hmm. maybe a little more but it's just like why why are they have this app that they're saying is a major selling point and then it doesn't even offer things. Like I want that along with what you're saying. I think both can happen together and make a better service. But but separate from the online stuff, um I do want to get back to Metroid real quick. Alright. <laughs> okay, because uh I kinda I kinda feel like Nintendo needs to give us some stopgap Samus. Like that same game informer editor was saying that from what he's heard, Metroid Prime Trilogy was supposed to be announced in December, prior to the Game Awards. Um, so it seems like Nintendo is going to do the one-two punch of Bayonetta. You know, last Game Awards in 2017, they announced Bayonetta's one-two port, and then they're like, also oh, three. And it feels like when Prime 4 got delayed, they kind of just sat on Trilogy and went like, well, we can't do here's Trilogy and then Prime 4, because there's no Prime 4, so let's just not do Trilogy. Which seems a little silly, because like, you could prime the pump now, no pun intended, and still have people interested then. I don't like. I don't quite get. It. I mean, if they want to wait, because if they want to wait, Thanks. they could also just give us a different Metroid in the interim. Like, give us a side-scrolling one, throw it on the eShop or something. They could literally, for all I care, just like up 
res and HDify Samus Returns from 3DS and then sell it on the Switch eShop. Or if they really want to go above and beyond, get Mercury Steam back. They did Samus Returns. Have them do a similar style remake for Super Metroid, but in HD. Like, they could use the same engine and just up-res it. It seems like there's a lot of room for Metroid. There is. And it's weird that they're just like, well, if Prime 4 is not happening, like, I feel like they even could have coupled the delay announcement with, we understand some of you are upset here, or not upset, but, you know, we appreciate your patience. In the meantime, here's a shadow drop of, uh, of Samus Returns in HD or something. It's just, it's weird. I feel like realistically, Prime 4 is now a solid two, three, or four years away. And a lot of Switch owners were excited about Metroid, so Nintendo might as well give them something Metroid-related in the interim. Like, the, the tension on the franchise is there. You might as well strike all the irons lukewarm at this point. Like, I don't know. At least give us Trilogy, but... Yeah. I mean, what type of Metroid... If Nintendo were to do a Metroid, would you be... Like would you want that, or would general you... general, or... No, like a, like a non-Prime 4 for Switch. Do you think it'd be better to do, like, a side-scoring one? Or now that I think about it, should they do, like, some sort of HD remake of Hunters? Or something, or Federation Force. I think of a front of the side scrolling one. Like, if they're gonna remake one, like they did for Metroid Prime Two. Mm-hmm. I mean, for Metroid Two, I just wanted to remake uh, Metroid Fusion. Oh, Fusion, interesting. What do you like more about Fusion than the others? Um, Fusion was just a good game in general. That's good. It was fun, I guess. I mean, it had that that different suit, and if you hooked it to the GameCube game, you could use the suit in Prime. Yeah, it did do that. It did. I remember buying those together on launch day. That was an interesting strategy to launch both versions of Metroid on the same day. Yeah, and unlocking Metroid 1, or just Metroid yeah. on the GameCube also. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. But, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see, I guess, what they do. I mean, time will tell, but that that's pretty much what's up with Switch, with 90% of Nintendo's business. But on the same pie chart that, you got an email, on the same pie chart that put Switch that high up, 90% of their revenue, it also had a little spot for the 3DS. And I literally mean a little spot. It uh, For the holiday quarter, 3DS brought in 4% of Nintendo's total revenue, that's on par with how Amiibo did. Amiibos, in, I should be fair, Amiibos in a category of miscellaneous money generators. That also includes the NES and the Super Nintendo Classic, and those sold nearly 6 million units combined just over the holidays. And interesting little tidbit, the NES Classic in 2018 was actually the second best-selling piece of video game hardware in the U.S., only behind Switch. The NES Classic did better than PlayStation and Xbox. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's way cheaper, so it's some, it makes some sense. But my point is, ignoring that NES Classic's in that bucket, 3DS is no better than the bucket with the cheap little plug-and-play systems and some plastic figurines in terms of making money for Nintendo these days. And I hate to say I told you so, but I, I told you so. Like, 3DS hardware sales for the holidays were at $2.31 million. That is down 60%, 60.5% compared to a year ago. Two-thirds less, basically. And then software for the whole quarter, they, they only sold 11 million copies of games, which is down 64.5% compared to a year ago. So basically, in three months, 3DS sold fewer games total than the number of copies of Super Smash Bros. Ultimate sold in one month. Just give you a sense of how like little is going on with the 3DS. And because of all this, Nintendo has now lowered the 3DS hardware forecast from 4 million to 2.6 million. That's a big drop, percentage-wise. And software expectations went down too, a little smaller, 16 million to 13 million, and that's mainly because um, legacy games continue to sell. I'm actually kind of surprised to say this, but somehow New Suit Mario Brothers 2 on the 3DS has sold another quarter million copies over the holidays, 
I don't, it's kind of crazy to think about that game still selling that many, this many years after it came out. It came out in like 2013. Like they really, they're not caring about evergreens. But what what's noteworthy here is um, they are officially dropping the idea of new games. New first-party 3DS games are done. In their financial guidance, they only mention continuing to leverage the, quote, 3DS's rich library of software and evergreen tiles, and the corresponding release schedule, where they kind of outline what's coming this year, shows nothing past Kirby's Extra Epic Yarn and Yokai Watch 3. Both of those are out before the fiscal year ends. Both of those are out within the next eight weeks, basically. And then that that's it for first-party 3DS games. There's still, thir- there's still like, uh, third-party tiles kind of down the pipe. There's Persona Q2, which comes out in Q2, which is a weird coincidence. It comes out in June, specifically. But now even those games are getting fewer and farther between. This is the first time that I've seen, or not seen, Nintendo make any reference to new games for 3DS in any capacity. It's all about their legacy stuff now, which means they're just riding it out. It's lo- it's not so much an if scenario. Like, if 3DS dies, what happens? Now it's more of a when 3DS dies, what happens? And it raises an interesting question, is what does that mean for Switch? Because without 3DS, there's a whole chunk of the market that no longer is being catered to, because 3DS was the budget system. And, well... Here's a nice little coincidence that's almost too good to be a coincidence. Remember that Wall Street Journal report of a new Switch model? Talked about in like October or September maybe? Not really. Refresh my memory. Okay, there's a Wall Street Journal report of a new Switch model coming sometime in 2019. And uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, suddenly, and at the time, to give it a little more context, at the time we were saying it it perhaps could be like a kid-friendly Switch. Like we talked about back then when the story was first published, that's looking more likely that uh, our theory was it's going to be a cheaper Switch. And in almost perfect coordination with Nintendo's financials coming out, Nikkei in Japan again put out a report saying there's a cheaper Switch and it might have missing features. And like, not to toot our own horn here too much, because we weren't the only ones that said this, to be fair, but we did call it. Like, it's not official yet, but all signs are now pointing to a kid-friendly Switch showing up before the Pro Switch that so many people wanted when the Wall Street Journal first reported that. Like, the, the two theories were it's going to be like a 2DS store situation, which is what I think we... I at least subscribed to and talked up on the show or it's going to be like the PS4 Pro of Switches oh it'll be like an, a 1080p screen instead of a 720 screen on the handheld and da, 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 da. And it looks like it's now moving in the direction of the kid friendly one according to Nikkei the device will be smaller it'll lose features in order to put portability first Faster, it'll have a, yes it will be Daft Punk both of them and each Joy-Con will be one of the robots. And uh, it'll apparently have a focus on, like I was starting to say, putting portability first. And more interestingly, having a focus on uh, outside play, playing outside. Which, you know. Oh, anti-glare screen. Yeah, potentially. And it sounds like very much like it's filling the schoolyard void that the 3DS is leaving behind. And, like, personally, I still don't think this means the Joy-Cons are going to be glued to it or anything like that. I know that's one theory flowing around. Like, the entire system. They're going to be tethered. Well, I don't think they're going to... Maybe. Maybe maybe so kids don't lose them. But I I think the Joy-Cons still have to pop off. Like, the system's too dependent on the concept of detachable controllers. they could literally pop off instead of slide off. You just, like, hit the back and they shoot forward. (laughs) But no, seriously, like, they will have to come off. Because, like, people are always like, oh, but 3DS, they made the 2DS and killed 3D. It's like, yeah, but 3D was an aesthetic thing. They once tried to make it beneficial for gameplay, Mario 3D Land, and And it didn't matter. And look at Super Mario Party. You literally can't play it without Mm -hmm. detaching Joy-Cons. Exactly. So I'd I'd be curious to see if the Joy-Cons are going to stay, which I think they are. What are they going to remove? Because they're going to remove something to bring down costs. Like, off the top of my head, they could probably kill the built-in NFC. 
Amiibo's not really as much of a thing anymore. Um, HD Rumble is kind of the 3D of a 3DS. Like, it's a cool feature, but if you lose it, you don't, like, lose out too much. I could see them maybe even getting rid of the cartridge slot. Like, this would be a chance for Nintendo to experiment with going digital only. But, like, I don't, I don't know what else. Is there anything else the Switch could... You could just chop off the Switch and it doesn't really matter? Those seem like kind of the go-tos. Hmm. Maybe the kickstand. You may don't need tabletop mode. Hmm. But that's really cheap. Yeah, but that's also kind of there to protect the the little slot. Yeah, they could put a, a yeah. cover over that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, I mean, I think on the on the flip side, I mean, outside of the controller, they can't really think of much. Get rid of HD Rumble. Yeah, yeah, I think H- I like I said, I think HD Rumble is probably the most the most one. Everyone that says like, oh, but 3DS got rid of 3D. I think HD Rumble is the one to one to that more than the Joy Cons. Yeah, but then that means you also maybe can't really play Super Mario Party again. Super Mario Party really gets hurt by this because they have so many games that revolve around the HD Rumble. Oh, that's true. And the very subtle changes between some of the characters that come out. So maybe like when it comes out, it'll just have a little disclaimer that it's not compatible with Super Mario Party. Or maybe, or maybe it can detect um, that you're playing a Switch Mini and it'll just block those mini games. Mm. Maybe that's where the update because it's it is only like some. So if they did an update... Or half of the motion ones? We, no, the motion one would still work. you pop off the Joy-Con still. Oh. In our dream Switch Mini scenario. I know, like, I could see them easily... Like, we were talking about how they don't have DLC for Mario Party. I could see them timing it with this thing, whatever this thing is, and be like, hey, so we're coming out with 50 new mini-games, um, but we're also that removing... friendly to both versions. Yeah, but we're also removing, like, 10 or 20 from the Mini. Kind of the same way that you could play a 3DS game in 3D... But it might not be quite the same. Like Mario 3D Land, yeah, it still works, but there are some little trickeries of the 3D that you can't access or can't really use fully. Mm, so, trickeries. I mean, it, it's a it's a tougher sell for sure because Mario Party does depend on it more than any 3D game. 3DS game uses 3D, but regardless, um, the flip side is is there's some cool stuff they could do with the miniaturized Switch. Um, smaller bezels, higher quality screen that has anti glare, like you said, um, better battery. Like maybe if they're really focusing on portability, maybe it doesn't come with a dock, but instead. It does the dock overclocking trick right on the device in portable mode. Very easy, cost saving thing. Just get rid of the dock. Yeah, I mean they can even like they could have you buy a dock. Bucks apparently. Yeah, ninety. It's eighty nine. Yeah. But yeah, they could have you buy a dock separately if you really want, or they can have the like the HDMI out built right into the handheld. You just plug an HDMI cable into it. Like there are ways around these things if they want to. Like however, basically however they approach a Switch Mini. Actually, know what they should call it? Switch Pocket. If it was small enough to fit in a pocket, they should totally do a Game Boy homage and call it Switch Pocket. That'd Can you be see cool. yourself getting one of these? No. No. Because I, I never got a 2DS. I'm all for upgrading, yeah. but this is a down or side grade, which I don't do. Hmm. Would you get one? I don't think so. Yeah, it just doesn't really make sense for us. But it does make sense for, for Nintendo. Like, beyond just the 3DS, you know, like appealing to those kids, like Nintendo has this long held goal and desire to move switch into a territory of being like a truly personal device like they really want to be from one switch per household like you and elvis have to one switch per person in a household they've said this in financial briefings in the past we've seen attempts at with them selling the switch without docks in japan like you could buy a secondary switch and just use your existing docks like this isn't a new thing for them and even here in the u.s they actually just started pushing this idea with a series of really well done commercials um, it's part of a campaign called Switch My Way. We'll link to them in the blog post for anyone who hasn't seen them. But basically, they're targeting adult gamers with kind of like this lifestyle ad where it's showing how you can play your Switch with the games you want, how you want, when you want, where you want. It's yours. And, you know, it's stuff like they'll play Mario Kart or Smash or 
an upcoming port of Final Fantasy VII. Like they they had one of the commercials is um, a guy in a cab playing Odyssey solo, only to then go to a party and turn on Mario Party for everyone. Or there's the businessman on a plane playing Final Fantasy VII, and then he goes home and plays Mario Kart with his daughter, and it's his switch, and he's just doing it in all these different ways. And it's actually you get it. You could switch between games. Yeah, but at <laughs> games and scenarios and everything. But what's kind of what's kind of neat about it is um, there it's aimed at like us and like older than us. Like putting Final Fantasy and Seven in there, that that's a pretty clever little nostalgia play. In the same way that Nintendo tried to rope in lapsed gamers and older gamers with Bomberman and Street Fighter and even to some extent Breath of the Wild back when the Switch first launched. Pretty bold. Like it's it's they're coming back around to that strategy. But my bro- the broader point is um, if, if they're essentially. You know, they're essentially backfilling the old 3DS spot with a cheaper kid-friendly Switch. And that lets them do the personal device thing for a younger crowd. And if it's cheaper and if it's more durable and something the kids will each want to take to school separately, that's a pretty easy sell for parents to buy multiple ones of these. And then for the adults, they have all these silly lifestyle ads that are actually really well done that make you be like, oh yeah, I want a Switch for me too. So this this might be how they hit that goal. And, and along the same lines, like... If they have a kid-friendly Switch, I guarantee that means this thing's going to launch before or in tandem with Animal Crossing Switch and with Pokemon Gen 8 because the demographics are perfect. Both games lean on portability. Both games are system sellers. Both games are very kid-friendly and loved by kids. Like, there's no reason... They say it could come as early as 2019, but maybe in 2020. I don't see how this would not be a thing for Gen 8 and Animal Crossing, whatever the Switch Pocket Mini is, ends up being. Hmm. So... It's interesting, at least. It, it, it's definitely going to be a big play to try and boost hardware sales this coming year. That in Asia, surprisingly. Apparently, like, 3DS being no dent in Asia is, like, 1% of sales were in Asia, but, like, Switch is at 7% now or something like that. Huh. So that's probably why that Switch 7.0 Tough update... Crowd. That, yeah, I guess. But that's probably why the Switch 7.0 update that came out the other week had literally nothing but new languages and, I guess, six Mario icons was because they were targeting those Asian markets. Like, China's on there. So maybe along with Switch Mini, China becomes a big new thing for Nintendo in 2019, and they enter that market officially. Who knows? But with that, we're on to the final slice of the revenue pie. Nintendo's mobile games. Um, mobile is, after all, pillar number two of the big three on their business. Uh, how it is now. Huh? It's funny how that is. Yeah, right? It used to be, oh, we use it just as, like, a gateway drug, but now it's equally important. Like, they... From we're never going to yeah. do them to, to now. doing them to it's very important. Yeah, and it's funny because uh, Furukawa said, like in the briefing, that they plan to not just make mobile games both for like not just for IP exposure, but both for IP exposure and outright profit. And that means they have to change their strategy a bit because right now this mobile pillar so of what theirs waiting simulator that they got cooked up for us this time. Uh, well, that that's what I don't think they do. But but real quick, I was gonna say um, nothing with a waiting simulator. No, I don't think I don't think their next games are waiting simulators in the same way is what I'm saying. Oh. But real fast before that, I was just gonna say that. They're, it's really tiny, their mobile. Like, we talk about it a decent amount because it's a big deal for us, but for Nintendo, like, as a business, 2% of all their revenue during the holidays was mobile. That's it. And that includes pillar number three of their business, IP expansion. That's inside the mobile expansion. Like, that whole pillar, those two pillars are make up 2% total of their revenue. And, uh, I mean, mobile games specifically, they're up 14% compared to a year ago. Dragalia Lost probably helped with that. But still, it's not a huge slice of the pie. So yeah, they're trying different things. They're probably moving past uh, waiting simulators. And what they're doing is, as Furukawa outlined in their presentation, they're going to work with guys that know what they're doing. They're going to partner up with companies that have experience in these 
various genres and make games that make sense. The first taste of that came from Dragalia Lost. Um, that was, you know, Nintendo and Psy Games who literally cut their teeth making that exact sort of gotcha-heavy RPG. Now, Nintendo's doing a similar thing with Line, and it is a Dr. Mario game called Dr. Mario World. So first off, it is a shame that it is in Puzzle League. I'm just, I'm just saying. Like, I don't know where you stand on this, Angel, but I oh, am a firm... They're, well, they're a different games, so... But I'm a firm believer yeah. that Puzzle League or Paneled Upon or Tetris Attack, whatever you want to call it, is better than Dr. Mario. And they are not always different games because they were once bundled together in Game Boy Advance. So you could literally put them side by side yeah, and but, compare which is better. <laughs> yeah, but they're like, exactly, they're still different games. I know, they're just but both puzzle I, games. I guess I'm just saying, like... They're both, like, match three puzzles. They're I'm just, just saying that different. Puzzle League is the better match three puzzle game. You can compare platformers no and have a favorite. No one's saying otherwise. You agree? It's better? I'm indifferent. Oh, okay. I think I think this was a missed opportunity for them to reintroduce a franchise like Puzzle League to a new audience. No. I mean, it doesn't... If they leave Puzzle League in the dirt where it belongs. Well, no, it doesn't belong in the dirt. It is a great franchise, and how dare you? No, but seriously, it's like... I get the cachet of Dr. Mario, but Nintendo could have easily branded a Puzzle League around any character and Dr. make Dr. Mario's in. It's like Smash Brothers. I don't see a... Tetris attack okay. or, or puzzle league character. How about this? Super Smash Puzzle. They did it for Pokemon. They made Pokemon Puzzle League. Make a puzzle game about Nintendo characters called Super Smash Puzzle or super, or whatever. You mean like Crystal Crisis by Nicholas? Essentially. Or Street Fighter 2 Puzzle Street mm. Fighter Turbo 2 Puzzle League. Or like the one that. Capcom just came out with that was literally that. It was like a Smash Brothers, but of Capcom characters. You could literally have Phoenix Wright versus Frank West. Yes, I mean, all and these, it was all a puzzle I league. mean, all of these are based on the same idea. It's also what Pokemon Puzzle League was on Game Boy Advance and uh, N64. I think it might be the I mean, Game Boy Color and N64. But, but that game same. apparently didn't do well enough that I think they just pulled the plug on Cause it. Because Cap- they did, because Capcom mismanaged it. Because I remember Elvis was actually into it. Actually, I remember a few people, some of my friends were really into it. I really like the Game Boy Color version but of that game. But it was the game, the the puzzle, the type of puzzle game itself. People just aren't into it. But none of those are exactly the same as Puzzle League. They all have different mechanics, slightly. Um, but I feel like it did a Super Smash Puzzle. Like literally, just take Pokemon Puzzle League from Game Boy Color and reskin it as Super Smash Bros. And you could probably do fine. But whatever. Even if they did sell for uh, Doctor Mario, um, I'll I'll admit it is kind of a savvy move for Nintendo. I mean, first of all. Puzzle games are very easy to migrate to mobile with minimal, com- like basically no compromise. Now I think about it, they're they're very much pick up and play for a minute here, a minute there. You know, there's certainly more pick up and play yeah, than I feel any like puzzle league or that kind of frantic game. Because Doctor yeah. Mario is a slower game that I feel doesn't really get hurt that much by mobile. But puzzle league and you know like Tetris, like I feel like they're definitely way better with buttons. Even though I know there mm-hmm. is Tetris with on smartphones, like you never get us much position if you do with a that's fair that's, a, that's actually a good point so maybe dr mario was a little more strategic yeah. leave your whatever game you wanted puzzle league on the switch or something yeah okay. I, I can get behind that i can get behind that and and the thing about any puzzle game they do on um mobile is like i feel like the monetization strategies don't necessarily have to interfere in the same way that they do with other types of games like you can monetize off aesthetics like outfits you can maybe offer easier access to power-ups like i think that's what candy crush does like you can earn power-ups or you can buy power-ups but they don't actually change anything. They just make it easier. Um, the concern that crossed my mind is if they do some sort of energy bar. Like when you were saying, like, what waiting simulation, I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Like, I could totally see them being like, you can only fill your pill prescription once every X minutes. And once you run out of what's in the bottle, you have to wait to refill or something. Or you can pay now to refill instantly and bypass federal regulations of drug use or whatever. You know, like it's. You don't think they'll have, like, a pay this flat amount for a full version? No, they're saying it's a free to play game. Oh. Yep. So they won't do that. 
Um, but even then, like if they did an energy bar, that's not that doesn't seem quite as harmful to the gameplay as like some sort of wild multi-tier gotcha system that Nintendo's been using in other games. So well, I, know. I don't know. I think this, in terms of like a mobile game and one that's like not going to change the core experience that much, this might actually be like the safest bet. A put like Doctor Mario or something of its ilk. So it's kind of cool. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not the biggest Doctor Mario fan. Is basically what I'm saying. But I, conceptually, I like it. Oh, I'm indifferent. Oh. You know, it's basically Puyo Puyo. Oh, per- isn't it? No, not even close. Isn't it? No. No. How no. wrong am I? Um, on I'm, a scale of like Jason just quit the podcast forever to we all make mistakes. I mean, it's closer <laughs> to Puyo Puyo. Yeah. Than it is to Tetris, but that's still like comparing Puyo Puyo and Tetris. Oh, okay. I mean, they're all. I mean, or whatever. So what? what or, 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 or that game that you like that I keep Puzzle forgetting. League. Puzzle League. Or Panel de Pont or, or Tetris like, Attack. I yeah, get why you forget. It has like twelve names. Yeah, like whatever Puzzle League does. Like I'm sure that could be compared to Puyo Puyo, but it's still different in its own way or whatever. Or maybe it is Puyo Puyo exactly. I have no, no idea. No, 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 no. Puzzle League and Puyo Puyo are not the same. If anything, Doctor Mario and Puyo Puyo are more similar. I've watched you play Puyo. I've played Puyo Puyo. I own Puyo Puyo Tetris. It's nothing like Puzzle League. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? So what? What? What's the difference between Doctor Mario and Puyo? Because they're both like slower, and you have to like match the pills in the free floating blobs. Yeah, but a lot of what comes from Doctor Mario is that it has kind of preset puzzles already in there built in. Oh, and like Puyo you... is more of a Tetris. Things fall as they fall. Yeah, like you Puyo, like you start with a blank screen, and Doctor Mario, like the harder you get, the more little viruses you start with pretty much oh. oh and there's their monetization then they could do it almost like um angry birds level style where you have a certain number of levels and you unlock to get the next n- number leveled and maybe if you run out of tries you can buy more tries because from what i remember like dr mario I, I i know there's like an infinite mode but for the most part the game just ends when you clear all the viruses like when it you, does when yep. you clear the viruses like that's it it's, it's just like a it's literally a single screen puzzle game that's hmm. that runs like a Puyo Puyo slash Tetris game. Okay. So if anything, the game might just be like here are different like puzzles, like different levels, and if and you can only maybe do like five a day before you have to wait for your right. energy to recharge and do more. Or before you come down from your high from all the drugs you popped. Or however they choose to word it. Yeah. You've re- you've reached your daily dosage. Would you like to extend your dosage with a new prescription? Okay, Nintendo Treehouse, hire me. I'm writing your game for you. But yeah, it's probably something like that. But besides that, um, just the other savvy thing about this game's existence is that it's teaming up, like it's Nintendo teaming up with Line specifically. Like we know Line primarily as a messaging app, an Asian messaging app. But over in Asia, they are a huge player in the casual game space. And like looking at partnerships that Nintendo's done so far, Psy Games, Line. It does seem like they're all in on getting some of the bigger mobile devs to work with them instead of trying to emulate what they do and maybe not being as good as it at it. But um, it does make me wonder where that leaves like DNA, which for all you that forgot, DNA is actually spelled D-E-N-A because logic and, and word rules, why do we need them? But they were the original partner for mobile. And they were the ones that helped orchestrate like the backbone and some of the actual development of everything leading up to Dragalia Lost. And they're the ones behind Mario Kart Tour, which Nintendo just announced in their financials is now delayed from releasing before spring to early summer for quality reasons and to ensure that's going to have actual in-game events to do after launch. But I've, I've got to wonder if on some level Nintendo just isn't thrilled with DNA's work. Like, I'm sure them having to push back what should have been a big release during the final quarter of this fiscal year and kind of end on a high note 
into the start of next fiscal year wasn't ideal. Like I'm pretty sure Nintendo's not a fan of that. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they were doing some sort of co-marketing or planning some sort of co-marketing for Mario Kart Tour where maybe like Tour would come out in February, then in March they release a new Mario Kart 8 Deluxe Switch bundle or maybe they put out DLC that ties into Tour. Like they they probably had stuff in mind to sort of capitalize on any type of Pokemon Go style Halo effect that Tour could lead people to buy Mario Kart with. So that's probably one strike against DNA. And then you got games like Mario Run and Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. They kind of underperformed in the grand scheme of things. Um, DNA didn't even do the bulk of the dev work for those. Nintendo actually had to still do them in-house, but then they lean on DNA for the infrastructure. Um, So why have games where they have to give up their own developer resources and have this outside company give infrastructure support and not even have them be up to par with the stuff that maybe Games does or Line does or other companies like that? When you can just go work out the, you know, work out the game with those companies directly, they could farm them out. They can treat it like uh, it's kind of like how you know Namco Bandai does Smash, or how Namco as well used to do Star Fox. Oh, big as Namco, apparently huge. <laughs> they found huge to know. be able to do Smash Brothers, Tekken, their Tales games, and whatever else they do. They have many divisions. They actually just opened a new one too. That's I'm just picturing like a giant like LA size building. Well, no, they have multiple studios all over the place. But yeah, they're one of the bigger ones. I mean, think about it. Nam- uh, Namco was one and of the original. And that's just like their video game stuff. They also do like... Yeah, all the toys. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see how big they are. Namco Bandai company size. Come on, Google. Don't steer us wrong. They are... Okay, well, that doesn't help. Employee count? I don't know how to find this. Oh, well. Nope, we're doing it. It's Employee okay. Employee counts. Someone's just shouting into their headphones that they know the answer. <laughs> um, number of employees, 7,871 at, at Bandai Namco Holdings. Hmm. That's a lot. More than Nintendo, I believe. I think Nintendo's at five or four. Anyway, um, yeah, like Nintendo, maybe even Namco could make a game. They seem to have the, a mobile game. They seem to have the people for it. But uh, yeah, it seems like Nintendo's cool with just like having other companies do it with them and then just having a producer on it. Yeah, it, it lets them churn out presumably higher quality mobile games. So I get why they're doing it. And, and more generally speaking, I'm also kind of just curious what's up with Mario Kart? Like, what? We're still completely in the dark about what type of game it is. Is it a regular kart racer? Is it like a top-down racer? Is it some sort of racing sim where you like manage a team of Mushroom Kingdom racers and they go travel the world? So they and just they go track to all how the... much you're driving and just... Do they just track how much you're dragging? Actually, you know what? Hold on. Let me run with that idea for a sec. What if it is a simulation where you're managing a team of toad racers who travel through all the kingdoms of Mario Odyssey and go on different races there? And then the races themselves can be whatever gameplay you want. But you're not just doing the races. You're also managing the team. And it's like two separate things. That might be too elaborate for a mobile game, but that actually sounds awesome. They were supposedly going to do something like that. There was a DS game that was pitched to them. I forgot by who. I want to say it might have been Next Level Games. Um, and the idea was it was like Mario's Auto Shop or something, and you like manage cars and manage where they go and do stuff. And it was like same a sim. Odyssey. It was like a racing sim. It, it would be a hit. What? Same for the both of Odyssey. Yeah. They could even have their own little musical number. <laughs> yeah, they could. I I and and then Toad it's and then an auto shop, and then uh, and then Toad can sing a version of it on his Japanese Line account to bring it all together, and uh, it'd be great. Yeah, but yeah, I, I who knows what Mario Kart Tour will be. It's it, I'm surprised they didn't even show a screenshot or anything. They're just like it must be bad. They're just like we're gonna sit back and don't we just we'll know what the logo looks like? Yep. And then when they announced the delay, all they showed was the same logo. The same sort of Metroid, sort of. Essentially. Essentially. Except we don't know if they're starting over from scratch or... I mean, it's only until early summer, so I'm guessing no. But there's definitely some big overhaul going on. They straight up said quality issues were to blame, so... Hmm. 
for now though we can talk about games we we actually know of and are quite familiar with i think this is my way of saying let's talk about what we're playing which is my way of saying let's talk about smash bros again because you know i i really thought i really did think we would get a break from giving smash bros impressions we've done it like last episode we almost did it and then right as we went to what we've been playing you were just like so yeah smash bros still has online issues too and i was like oh we that's four in a row with smash and or three in a row four in a row but now nintendo is forcing us to do it again because they did a surprise early release of our first dlc character in smash bros ultimate piranha plant so how do you like him are you hashtag plant gang this is that that was my hello fellow kids moment i'm so sorry but no, seriously, like, what do you think of Piranha Plant? Um, as a character that functions in the game... That's presumably they, why I'm I mean, like, ignor- <laughs> ignoring the fact that they're Piranha Plant, just, like, the identity of the character, um, no, they're, they're a fun player character to play against and to use. I can't... They didn't really gel with me in the sense that, like, oh, yeah, this is gonna, like, be my new, like, Bowser or Rob or whatever. He- so, like, I'm just... So, like, it, it's just a nice addition it's like i'm just glad it's not someone that is just objectively not fun to fight like um isaac i mean not isaac uh, he's not even in the game um like any of the belmonts or sometimes inkling like there's there's some characters that i mean i i don't get mad at them for using them because like obviously like that's how you're supposed to play them but yeah. i mean they're the way they play is just inherently really annoying and not very fun to play against i get what you mean but yeah so like at least i'm glad they're not adding to that um, he, as far as the fact that it's Piranha Plant, like, I don't know, every time I see a battle with him or I'm fighting him, it just feels lame. Like, it feels like I'm not really fighting. I have the opposite It feels opinion. like, it, it just feels like I'm not really fighting, like, a character for some reason. Like, no, no, it, it just feels kind of underwhelming. But then I remember, like, well, it, but at the same time, they do feel exactly like what they are. Like, it was just this free character that was just added in. You could buy him for $5 on the eShop now, too. Yeah, or you could buy him for, well... Okay. I mean, it would suck to have to pay five bucks for that, but no. See, yeah, it just feels like like you just, just dislike Piranha Plant. No, I don't. I don't really care. It's just like every character in Smash Brothers, for the most part, even the Pokemon that you could argue are they're just like one of a million Pikachu's or whatever. Like at least like they're like big time mascots. Like Piranha Plant just feels like it feels underwhelming to fight it. It just feels like I'm fighting like a like an assist trophy with more mobility. So that's I, literally what it feels like when I'm fighting them. It feels like I'm fighting like. A very fancy assist trophy. It's funny because I almost—I literally feel like I had the opposite reaction to him. Like I feel like the inclusion almost gave me. This sounds ridiculous, I know, but it almost like really gave me like a newfound appreciation for Piranha Plant as a character, like just in the broader Nintendo universe. Like the fact is, like you don't realize how big of a role this little thing that snaps at you has across so many different games. It becomes apparent with all the references they keep making in Smash to him. I mean, like the congrats image when you beat uh, Classic Mode is a Super Mario RPG nod to a Japanese commercial, kind of a deep cut, but pretty cool. The Paltina banter that happens when you're playing Prom Plant, they list so many different variations of Prom Plant from so many different games. You're just like, wow, he's literally in everything. They It goes on for like 45 seconds of just different Piranha Plants. And then like there's individual attacks that have all these different individual game references. The victory poses reference even different games. It goes on and on. Like it's just, there's a surprisingly big amount of fan service, in my opinion, for a plant which should be lame, but then I'm, like, seeing all this stuff, I'm like, wow, I recognize a ton of these things they're referencing. I, mean, I, I rec- didn't realize he was that, like, I mean, key I rec- to Nintendo I mean, history. I, I recognize those two, but it didn't change how I felt about it. And I just, it made it's him like, seem, it, it inflated like I know, him like, I, like I know Piranha Plants, like, I mean, when you think, like, Mario enemies, 
might, some people might say Piranha Plant first, and then yeah. Koopa or Goomba or whatever. But I don't even mean, I don't even mean but, just like he's that iconic from a Mario game. I mean oh, yeah. just like he's in everything. Well, exactly. <laughs> that's what makes him iconic. Like, well, yeah, 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 but but I mean, like, there's variants of him. There's different things. He, like, there's just a lot. He's in Link Awakening randomly. Like, there's just like a lot of him, and it, it kind of made me be like, wow, this guy's like, like everyone. Like, I feel like for me at least, Koopa Troopa and Goomba come first. But now, I'm like, wow, Piranha Plant's kind of like the the Trojan horse here. He's really he's everywhere. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I I love Piranha Plants. Yes, don't love characters. Smash. Yeah, it just feels like they could have done anything else. Are we both in agreement though that like? Like his I, pose on I, the I, everyone like, here is here banner is perfect with him watering a little Pikmin. Oh yeah, in like, the pot. That's like, like it's so good. But like, like, don't get me wrong. Like, everything about the way he was executed in the game, yeah. or eight or whatever. Yeah, so um, like, 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 like I think it's perfect. Like I think they did an amazing job with it. Like I love the way it's animated. I love how expressive it is and everything. Mm-hmm. I just what don't agree. I, I just don't agree with the fact that he's just in there. Like I just it's just like oh okay yeah. I just think it's really lame that he's in there. That's that's, that's fair. I love everything else about him, which is fine because it doesn't bother me. I like me. the goofiness personally, but as you, as anyone well, else yeah, knows, I'm I'm, per, I'm always for these weird offbeat. Well, things, yeah, I mean so. he is goofy, like it's yeah. I I will know. say playing as him is interesting. Like maybe it's me, but I feel like his side B and his B are almost like backwards. Like his side B is a stationary thing, or his yeah, his side B stationary and his B is something that you'd think would move one side or the other. Mm-hmm. So his B, he shoots up his spike ball, and you can tilt the stick to move it left or right. Uh-huh. His side B, he holds and then shoots. A station like a, a gas cloud or whatever poison gas i feel like it'd make more sense for his b to be the thing that shoots the gas cloud and the thing that where you have to hit a side would be determining which way the spike ball goes and then it goes sideways yeah but it like it feels it, backwards yeah but you don't have to shoot it to the side i know you can shoot thing. it up you don't, I, you don't I, have to shoot it at i guess all, it gives right. him more yeah i guess it gives him you could just literally just hold b and just and it'll go straight up yeah and yeah. it'll just stay there like it won't even shoot it'll just stay stationary well yeah it goes up above him yeah which is that's i, think, I don't know like I guess it makes sense in that. I was just thinking, like, oh, I mostly was shooting it to the side, so maybe that's just me. But it seemed, it seemed, I don't know. And then the He's, side B, I mean, it does shoot it to the sides. I mean, well, yeah, but so does Mario's B. The 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 fireball goes to the side. Yeah, but you have no control over like how, like I know it, it, it's a set rate. I, mean, I, I get, I get it, I get it. I, it it's it just when I first tried it, I was like, this seems backwards, but because it's kind of like I view his spike balls almost like, but not anymore. Now that you're mentioning, where well, you could just hold it straight up. You're right, but. To me, it's it's more like, versatile, though. Like, do I just press B and yeah, do nothing, or do I that. press left and right? I'll give it that. That's fair. He is kind of fun, though, but he feels very, like... Not to mention, I mean, it makes sense. He's a pie plant, not to mention also stationary, like, almost. Not to mention also, like, the B when you hold the spike up, like, depending on how long you let it. Like, if you toss it when the ball is at its highest, it's going to go really close to you. If you toss it when the ball is at its lowest, it's going to go really far away. So All you, right, there's more versatility. So, so you there. do kind of have to hold it for a while sometimes if you want to hit someone really off stage. Because right. if you're holding to the side, it's like you're already... You're stuck to that side. Yeah. No, I get that. Okay, so maybe I jumped the gun with that thought, but I mean, but he I, is kind of. Fun. I can understand that. I mean, I. Yeah. I mean, that's how I still feel about Inkling's like little bomb. I mean, I don't know why that one's down B. Yeah, that's weird. That, that should have been B. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 I guess the and and again yeah, I feel like the gun should have been side B, but then again her roller also makes sense. The I roller has know. to be side B. Yeah. Her moves are just a mess. You just have to make it muscle. Memory. Huh, it's a mess because because it's ink because it's an inkling. Yeah. See what you did there. But yeah, I, I do like prop plant is fun to play. I don't think I would use him a lot, but like he is fun. Like he's very. I was starting to say he's very kind of like stationary, which I guess makes sense because he's a pie plant. But like all his moves are like not really based on him moving. <laughs> it's all based on things he does from his plant pot. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like you're doing like, oh, I'm doing something where I roll my pot into you. It's like, oh, I'm extending really tall, or I'm shooting a thing sideways, or I'm spitting something at you. Like, it's very, like, stationary. 
Yeah. Also, his dash is really weak. But anyway, I mean, all dashes are short. But whatever. That's a whole other thing. I, I remember I try. I was doing classing when I did like the whatever it is right before the final boss, where you're like running, outrunning the thing and collecting uh-huh. the coins. And I was like, wow, he really doesn't move much. This piranha plant guy. But but then I saw other people saying he's surprisingly fast. So maybe. I'm oh just, yeah. I, mean, maybe I just don't know how compared to goes. most of the characters. He's, he's that's true. He he's is. just average. Yeah. I mean, look at Cinnabar. That dude, like, yeah, it's like having molasses. Well, sort of on that note. So, what do you think of the um, balancing that's been going on? Because not only so, Piranha Plant was part of a bigger 2.0 update, and in that update came balancing and came some new stuff. What about the balancing? How is that in your mind? Do they are they doing good? Is it Sakurai? Sakurai handed it off to yeah, the whole team. I think they're doing good. It's pretty much they they've taken the nice approach of instead of like nerfing things that are super broken let's just make everyone else better so they're just literally buffing everybody also they're never actually taking anything away i mean they did take in a meaningful like way. a very like minor things away like they took away the fact that i can crom when they upbeat you off stage you die first so now crom dies first and ike dies first so they can't just like well, that kind of makes sense because technically you'd be above them if they're upbeating you mm-hmm. more often than not you'd be above them if they're upbeating you. yeah but even then i mean like like they make other people die first when Bowser like oh, checks you off stage, and you're literally below them. Yeah, I mean Bowser is really, literally above you, so same thing with Ganondorf. Like they just did away with that, so that I mean you can still do it if you're up a stock and you'll benefit from it. Yeah, but they just want they just don't want people to win that way, and whatever that's fine. Yeah, and the only other thing they got rid of is um, King K. Rule. They just made it harder for him to camp people when they're trying to recover. But if you're decent at the game, that shouldn't have been an issue to begin with. So they just made. The funny thing is that like Sakura also like addressed this like yeah I saw this he too. was saying that a lot yeah. of people were complaining about King K. Rool, but his win rate is still under fifty percent anyway, so it's just like the average player really struggles against them. But that's pretty much it. I don't know. I mean, patches were great. They're buffing a lot of people, which is always nice to see. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. always better to make everyone better, everyone broken, and then. It, it, yeah, it's better not it gets, to take away something. Someone if if someone has a favorite character and then they nerf them to the point where they're not fun to use anymore that sucks for that person who has to go yeah. learn a different character versus just raising everyone else in comparison yeah, yeah and like they also like did this one thing to Luigi so he can't do this very one specific combo where he could pretty much kill you from 0% oh I've seen that but I'm now that but now instead of having to do a downer right before finishing now he just has to do an up air so he still so they, he, yeah. he, he could still do it it's just a little well, harder now or it's just a more of a skill to, thing yeah I mean it always was a skill thing like more not, of a skill thing yeah like I mean, I tried doing it, and I can never pull it off. You have, yeah. you have to actually practice it. Right. And then they're like, surprise, and I need to practice it this way instead. Yeah, but pretty much. I, I will say, though, um, one thing I kind of like that came with 2.0 is the addition of a multiplayer spirit board, which I realize is a minor thing, but it's kind of cool. It never occurred to me to do the spirit board multiplayer. But I, I, guess, I Well, I like, I that, there's, I like the that there's a co-op thing now, sort of. But what's, what's significant about it more than that is that it gives hope that they're going to continue to tweak and add modes. Like, what's stopping them from doing, like, an online squad strike or the return of the home run contest or something as time goes on? Like, I'm not saying we're going to see super major things, but if they have the components already there, they're clearly showing a willingness to kind of reconfigure them a bit to do different things. So, like, am I, I, am I missing a mode that would make sense that they should add? I can't think of anything that's super major. Like, they only bring back the 3DS Smash single-player thing or, really, Smash Run. But, like, like little things like this I think would work. Yeah. yeah, Smash Run is definitely one of them for sure. You do want it back, or you don't want it back? I would want it back. Oh, you would want it back. I was just saying I don't care about. It, but oh, I mean, like, I mean, if it's there, it's like, I mean, once we get to, I mean, we're, I feel like we're already at the point with like some groups of friends where, like, when we're playing Smash Brothers, actually, no, I guess we're not quite there yet. We just play versus like forever, but 
I mean, it's only a matter of time before we get to that point where we're going to start doing other modes that true. would be more fun or more That's random. That's true, and then Smash Run would fit in. Yeah. Or Home Run Derby or Multiplayer Spirit Board. I'm just, you know, some of these are already there, some are not. I, actually, speaking of adding stuff, speaking of adding spirits, uh, I'm weirdly like both happy and annoyed that they added the previously exclusive spirits. Uh, specific, specifically Super Mario Party and Pokemon Let's Go. Like, I got up very early to get those Super Mario Party spirits. And they were billed as exclusive. And now it's kind of like, oh, I guess I wasted sleep for nothing. Aww. I mean, it's nice It's nice that they're giving people a chance to catch up because not everyone had the game at that date. Even though, you know, even though 12 million people now do, maybe only 8 did at that point. Um, and I get why they do the save data ones. That makes sense because, like, not... It's kind of unfair if you have to buy a game. It's like a paywall at that point to get the spirit. But still, like... Don't build them as exclusive if it's timed exclusive. Say that. Come on, Nintendo. But overall, yeah, it was, it was a it was a nice update. It's a pleasant surprise to get Piranha Plant early. Most people, when they hear February, knowing Nintendo, will think, oh, February 27th or 28th at 11.59 p.m., not January 30th at 7 p.m. But hey, or 29th even. But hey, Nintendo works in mysterious ways. So, unless you have any other Smash thoughts, I think that just about does it for this episode. Um, or any yeah. thoughts on anything, really? I mean, it's nice that they added those um, spirits that were quote unquote exclusive to the store. Like literally the thing I just said. Yeah. <laughs> Are you just rubbing it in my face? I'd get up early for nothing. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Like it is nice. Yeah, it is. Because I'm like, I'm not gonna go to the spirit board. I'll just wait for them to be available. And yeah, my patience paid off. Yeah. Actually, I guess that's not exactly what I said. That's fair. You're just rubbing it in my face more. That's more accessible to you without needing to give up sleep. Yeah, my life is really hard is what I'm saying like yeah. really hard anyway I guess with that we'll be back in two weeks unless there's anything else right no I think that's but yeah, our next, covers everything next episode is coming on Sunday February 17th we're going to have news impressions among other things we'll be covering um, the Q&A transcript from the financial briefing Nintendo often drops little hints and tidbits of their plans in there so if anything big comes out of it we'll have it for you with our thoughts uh, plus I at least I finally bought Pool Panic. Nintendo's doing a sale right now called Weird and Wonderful, and Pool Panic is on sale. And I am going to be sharing impressions of the very, very strange game that is Pool Panic. So we'll have that, plus whatever you've been playing. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it should be a grand old time. Um, so to make sure you don't miss it, you can follow us at Ram Nintendo on Twitter. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. Our handle there is randomnintendo.com. We're also subscribable on every podcasting app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are, we are. Well, that's a good slogan. It's a little um, creepy. It's a good slogan yeah, for stalkers. It sounds kind of creepy. It's a it good sounds... slogan for stalkers. But yeah, I, so you can like... find us everywhere. You can also find us individually. You're, you're pretty much Mr. X from Resident Evil 2. The guy that stalks you. Do you want to talk about Resident Evil 2? You keep dropping Resident Evil 2. We can talk about Resident Evil 2. I mean, I'm going to talk about it when I'm ready. Okay. Okay. All these hints, I feel like you were trying to be like, Jason, let's talk about Resident Evil 2, but you could just bring it up. Anyway. I haven't beaten it yet, but it is really good. So listen, if you want to hear... It is filling in that zombie you hole that that I mentioned That you had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want, maybe like for people who want more Resident Evil 2 before the next episode... Maybe you'll tweet something at Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore. See how I just seamlessly did that. Or you can find me tweeting not about Resident Evil at JSR7. But yeah, that does it. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Um, Any more Resident Evil references as we close out the show? Is there any sort of like game over ending reference you want to make without spoiling anything? You are dead. That's what happens when you do a game over. Wherever you are will be, and you are dead.